And after a few days, Job was ready to unveil George Michael's new message. Drought, starvation, these are the things my family has had to deal with for generations. Although fortunately not since we moved to Corona del Mar. You homie terrorist! How stupid do you have to be to say something like that? You're not wanted here! Joe, Michael, you got uh, George Michael's tape? Yeah, I gave it to the tech guy. Don't worry, it's very tastefully done. Should have you made that video in a cave? Real candidate, Steve Holt. And soon it was time for Steve Holt to play his video, which had been produced by his new campaign manager, Ann Veal. Hi, I'm Steve Holt. Evil! It's popular. It's like a chick I did once in high school. Get a haircut! But recently, I've been dealing with the fact that I've never known my father. But I finally found a new father. You're probably wondering what these footsteps are. Well, this is my second take. It's kind of like a second chance at making good. Yeah, okay. We need to pull the video tape. Michael? Why? I made a huge But it was too late to do anything about it. Steve Holt is a bastard. He doesn't even know who his real father is. What else don't we know about Steve Holt? George Michael Blue is a cool guy. His dad is a powerful executive working for this man. The girls like him just fine. Young and old, it doesn't matter. In the dark. Good for this world. All right. Why, hello, it's four minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 and this, the month of October in the year of our Lord 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live, live, I say, from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 to talk in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for uh, joining us today. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into Wednesday. It's uh, 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? 503 503- 733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, two cents, observations about the eating of hot dogs by Jeff Merkley. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. Um... So a couple things to get out of the way here at the beginning. Uh, so Carl Click from K2 is going to be joining us in the studio today. One o'clock, Carl Click from K2 will be here to count down his top five teenage moping songs. So that'll be later on today. Yesterday when I was doing the Rollins interview, we kind of ran out of time because everything was sort of running a little bit behind. But um, I was going to ask Rollins what songs he moped to as a teenager, and there's just no time to get to it. So the next time, you know, if we ever talk to him again, it's got to be on the list. Uh, but today, Carl Click from K2 will be here to count down his top five. We'll be giving away another pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins live next Monday the 13th um, at uh, the Newmark Theater. So that's coming up. Mr. Skin coming up today. And uh, several other things of that nature. All right. It's 503-733-2970 if you would like to uh, join us. Uh, you can also email us rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T. 
at 970.am. It should be noted, by the way, that Richie Bristol brought in some food this morning. And so there's nothing too unusual about that, because Richie does bring in a lot of food. His mom makes a lot of food. Richie brings a lot of things uh, from home. And most of it's really good. Like, Richie will come in, and he has some sort of, I don't know, like a big bowl of noodles, or his mom will make some sort of like a, she made like some egg roll thing or whatnot the other day. He brings it in. Everybody heats it up. We, we have it. It's fantastic. So Richie comes in today. Sorry, can you hear me? Yes, I can Okay, hear I'm you sorry, now. I was doing it in pro- My microphone's all messed up. Speaking into the mic, and I couldn't hear you for a moment. Yeah, that's really... I can okay. hear you now. Okay. Wait. 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 Oh. Yep. Okay. You didn't need any of that bread, did you? No. Okay. Now, so Richie comes in today with a loaf of bread that is sort of an aluminum foil, and he walks into the studio about 1045, and he says, so do you want any banana bread? And fortunately, I said, no, because I'm not partial to bananas at all, ever, in any way. And so he said, do you want any banana bread? And I said, no, Richie, that's, that's fine. None for me, thanks. I think Tim took a piece, though, didn't you, Tim? I'm saving it to savor later. Uh huh. So Tim takes a piece of this banana bread that Richie brought into the studio this morning, and Tim said, "So Richie, did you make this banana bread yourself?" And Richie said, "No, that Clear Channel chick gave it to me. This is the Clear Channel girl that was." And where Richie went over, and I guess they were like humping it out in some production room or something, and, and then she let him take pictures of her. He took pictures of her buttocks in said production room, and Richie goes. No, there's a banana bread from that Clear Channel chick. And the look on Tim's face, it was like I'd asked him to eat a bowl of shredded cockroaches. I mean, it was like, I, I thought you were going to be ill. And the worst part, though, the worst part, well, there are two worst parts, is that Sarah came into the studio. She'd missed this conversation. Sarah came into the studio about five minutes later, and there's a slice of banana bread sitting on a paper plate in front of her. And you picked it up, and you were sort of doing that thing like you were about to eat it, and you said... Hey, did Richie make this? And I could see your mouth opening and the hand moving closer I to the mouth. I love banana bread. Well, and then I said, no, it's from that girl. He's humping at Clear Channel. And you kind of went, yeah! And sort of that, like at the last moment, of vo- turning into the skid, putting the bread back into the plate. It was all worth it, though, for this phrase. And then we'll move on with uh, today's intro and program. It was all worth it for the phrase, yeah, it's booty bread. Which apparently is what Richie is calling it because it's from some girl that is putting out. Uh, allegedly. I mean, from what we hear. From what we've seen pictures of. From what we've seen pictures of. <laughs> from what we've seen some photographic evidence of. All right. Richie, is that is that true? Did you come up with the name Booty Bread for this? Yeah. Okay. okay. You're all style. I guess that's one of those fringe benefits for working at Clear Gen. <laughs> Would you rather have this or health care? Have some. <laughs> Look, uh... Look, we can't actually pay you, but uh, have some booty bread. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. The phrase is booty bread. Again, the secret phrase is booty bread. All right. That's like if you were Jamie Farr talking to uh, you were Jamie Farr talking to Steve Lawrence, you know, in 1978. It's 503-733-2970. All right, here's what's coming up today. We'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, she is in Nashville, Tennessee. Wait, is that where the debate was yesterday? Yes, Last it night? was. Boy, goddamn, that was a tedious debate. It was like having my eyes pulled out. But but you know something? The most memorable thing, I, I was watching uh, uh, MSNBC afterwards. Mm-hmm. And you have to imagine that there are actual people standing there cheering for a black politician in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, that would have never happened in America a few years it, ago. It is kind of, it really is, you sort of pull yourself back a little bit. And even, you know, even Sarah Palin. I mean, we talked a lot about Hillary Clinton. But even Sarah Palin, you, you know, you look at that and you say, how 
I mean, not to, you know, not, not to be too whatever about it, but I mean, it is amazing how far we have come in just a couple of decades in this country. And I mean, it is that is like aside from the fact that aside from the fact that Sarah Palin's crazy. You can sort of say that she at least has a bigger chance than Geraldine Ferraro did, because Geraldine Ferraro had no chance at all. So that is kind of a great go America moment. You know, it really is. And you're sitting there and you're watching this on television and you're realizing, I mean, let's just call it what it is. I mean, McCain is not going to win. That's not going to happen. Barring, as James Carville said, some unforeseen turn of events, some crisis, some scandal, some whatever. And there's no way that John McCain is John McCain is going to be winning Jack and Squat in November. Those are the only two things at which he will be victorious. God, he looks so decrepit, and he should have just stayed in his chair because he was wandering around looking like a creepy. He reminded creepy. me of Don Rickles. I, yeah, he did, and he I had little dinosaur arms flapping around, and the way he was holding his microphone like well, that. Well, let's let's remember to be fair. Then oh, John McCain's posture is because that he was he did suffer a lot of trauma and torture and under let's be fair about You're that. You're right, but yeah. in mouth. I didn't I totally forgot about that. But here's the thing, he is and but leaving that issue aside, because I think a lot of people made this comment last night. They said and we'll, we'll talk more about what's coming up on the program today. But just to your point, Sarah, to be fair, I mean, we all know that, like, he went through a lot. And, you know, he was obviously was treated, you know, very savagely when he was a prisoner of war. But but that's not even really it. It's just that he he looks and just has that in everything he does, he absolutely, you can sense every one of those 72 years. And he just seems very tired at this point. And I don't mean to be mean about it. I'm not trying to be a jerk. But he just seems, man, the presidential, the presidency will beat you down, and a presidential election will beat you down. And he just seems so burned out, and he just seems so, just uh, ready to go take a long ass nap somewhere. And you know, I have to tell you, I can feel his pain because by about 20 minutes into last night's alleged debate, I was just sort of looking over at Lara, going like, I don't know, what's it been like an hour? Hour and 15 minutes, and she hits the little play button on the TV, and she's like, no, 22 minutes. Oh. I'm like, uh, okay. I... Well, he looks tired. It, it was also, long. He's tired, but also looked very angry last night. That was too. the other thing. Boy, could he have been more of a get-off-my-lawn. I mean, that thing, you kids, I'll take those bicycles away. All right. Uh, so we'll talk about, about the debate and all that stuff. But, but Tim, you have, really do have a valid point, though, that it is... It is kind of great when you, you watch that last night, you realize that, look, unless something that we can't anticipate just sort of comes down the pike in the next three weeks, I think Barack Obama will be the next president of the United States. Yes. And whatever one thinks about his politics, you've got to admit that's kind of a, uh, I mean, regrettably, that is a hurdle that we are sort of late to the party on, just like we're late to the party on having a woman, in, you know, in, in, you know in, as either vice president or president. Because, like, every other country in the freaking planet has been able to make that happen, except for us. But, you know... We are. Uh, we make great strides uh, here. We just make them. Uh, we make them later in the game than other countries sometimes. We'll talk to Lisa Desjardins from Nashville though about last night's debate. Um, we'll talk about. Uh, we'll talk to Steve Castenbaum from New York City today, and we will talk to CNN radio correspondent and firecracker of journalism, Bob Costantini. What else? Uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, joining us later on the day, Carl Click. We already talked about that from K2. Going to be in the studio to count down his top five teenage moping songs. Uh, we will have another 60 seconds of speaking contest for your chance at Henry Rollins tickets. Uh, we will, without fail today, play those two Palin Watch submissions that we got. Because it is becoming ever more clear to me that we're really only going to have another three weeks of those Palin Watches even being relevant before she's just sort of... She's just going to go off on a speaking tour for the rest of her life. I mean, Honestly, that's going to be the thing. After not seeing her for a day, she's already kind of out of my mind. Yeah. I um, mean, it's kind of she's kind of already in the back burner. You know, the thing about Sarah Palin is Sarah Palin. I forget who made this observation. I think it was Storm the night of the VP debate. 
that Sarah Palin is very much like a uh, she's like a a satisfying for the moment sugary drink of some kind. You know what I mean? Where you sort of you know she's like a can of strawberry crush. Where you open it and you drink it and you kind of go, ah, that's really good. And there'll be the completely empty calories that are out of your body about three hours later, and it, you know it has no substance and no real lasting impact on you at all. That's what Sarah Palin is. So we'll uh, do the Palin watchers today. Uh, what else? Did I mention booty bread? Of course I did. All right, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. Uh, Southwest Portland home slides 300 feet down the hillside. Can you imagine that? The people inside think, who's knocking on the door? They open the door. They just have enough time to escape, and this thing slides down the hillside, splinters into a million pieces after he hits another house. Anyway, it's the big national news putting us on the map today. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson holds a news conference in less than an hour to pontificate on the growing financial crisis. Britain's central bank is injecting millions into its teetering system also today. All the Secret Service wants to find that guy who expressed the desire to do harm to Barack Obama during that Sarah Palin rally the other day. Mm-hmm. And this is a crazy story. The craziest of all today, a Colorado Springs man in jail at getting drunk on vodka while flying and bounding the hands of two girls with duct tape on this flight. Like a commercial flight? Yeah. Aren't there, I mean, don't they have people to stop that? Apparently he was able to Wait, not keep their hands. So you can actually, well, you know, that'll be the next thing they don't let you take on a plane. That'll be there. They will now begin uh, looking for duct tape. You will no longer be able to take adhesive devices of any style onto a plane. And CBS shows a penis to children on television. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Tim. All right. We cut to the heart of the matter here. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Your car quick say that. Fine. <laughs> 503-733-2919. We could make him say it. He's going to be in the studio later. Well, we could just true. shut the door and lock it and tell him he can't leave until he says it. Star click. Say penis right now. Ten times Do it. in a row. Penis, penis, penis. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Tim Riley. All right. Uh, speaking of bananas and, and all of that, uh, Sarah Dillon is wearing a banana shirt today. Is that the Kids of Whitney High shirt? It is the Kids of Whitney High shirt. Yeah, your mind doesn't fit. It's like an extra large. Well, this, is, this one's super small, so I have yeah. to wear it underneath something else that covers it, the majority of it. So that is so that is a blue shirt with a big yellow banana on and the front says, of it. Uh, it out, out of shape banana. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense, but it's great because it's the Kids of Whitney High, but it's also like a little bit of a Don Hertzfeld, like, I am a banana kind of a thing, which is great. A little so. bit of an Andy Warhol thing going on, too. Uh, all right. Did you watch the debate last night? Uh, did you call me around 10, but I missed your call, so I don't know what that was about. Yeah, bits of it. I was watching to see, because I, I wanted to see your take on it, because I had watched a few minutes of it, and I'm like, oh, I didn't... I know Obama didn't seem like he was very confident when he was speaking last night, and I was right. just seeing McCain totally take him to task, and then I'm always completely off base, because I thought, like... The last debate, I thought Obama clearly had it, but then everyone saying that McCain won it. And the right. last night, I thought McCain had it, and then Obama. Really? Won. See, I didn't think that. See, it, it, but I only. But truth be told, I was busy doing my big apartment cleaning with Lisa, yes. so I only watched bits and pieces. And by apartment it. cleaning, you mean you were busy drinking while Lisa cleaned your no, apartment? No, we both were equally cleaning. But I have to say, it is spotless. It looks like a catalog picture of my apartment. It looks amazing. Now, are you going to do that thing where you just? Uh, uh, now, this I'm going to keep it this way. Now that it's back oh, to no. zero. Okay, so you're going to let it go back into it. You're going to let it well, slide I mean, back into the chaos. You know, life is life, and you know, my apartment is going to get dirty. There you go. See, that's the, because when, whenever the Laura and I get the house really clean, we always then say, okay, now look, th- no fooling. This time, we have to keep up. We can't let the you know the house get back to the way it was. And then, of course, the house always gets back to it the way it was. It five hours. Yeah. Five hours. And bless her heart, Lisa, she swept, mopped, and waxed my kitchen floor and my bathroom floor and, like, helped me bleach everything. Did and- you feel like the evil stepsister? 
No, no, it's, it was because she loves, like, she likes cleaning. She's like, I hate cleaning really? my own house, but I like cleaning other people's places. So, so we both did it together. It was a joint, it was a joint thing that we were doing. And um, she had to empty her vacuum cleaner. It had one of those right. things that was about, about the size of this. Six times. Wait, so that's so that's like about a that's about a quarter gallon container. You just held up there. She had to empty the vacuum cleaner six times. Six times between my living room, dining room, and bedroom. It's almost hard to believe that you sometimes have like coughing and lung problems. I know it's a big shocker. Man, well that's like that Roomba. We'll take the Roomba and we'll let it go all around the house for like two hours, and then you you know you turn it over and and then you realize like I am breathing this crap. Oh yeah. Like this. Here's another thing. You want to you want to freak yourself out about what's in the air? Do you have a ceiling fan? Yes. You ever do that thing of like once every we six months? Oh, dude! And you like you stop the ceiling fan, you look at it, and it's just like somebody has draped it in big curtains of dirt, and you think to yourself, "This was in the air, and therefore going into my lungs." Ugh. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah, I cleaned off the top of my refrigerator last night too, because I have bags of chips from like two years ago <laughs> up there, and like uh, you know, old like a uh, medication from Muppet, and like just like cards from my old roommate, like saying good luck on my new place. And like, you know, That's great. <laughs> two years ago. That's wonderful. Excellent. But now it's completely spotless. It looks like a grown-up apartment, and I'm going to have um, some friends over for dinner tomorrow night. So I'm... Yeah, you got to do it now. Have them over no. now in this window. I don't, I'm not even going to go back to my apartment today. I just want to just leave it alone and just, you know, pop yeah. in there for a second and then I'm la- uh, dirty it up. Laura and I were... Uh, we were Well, in fact, it was the ceiling fan. We were, on a, we were doing the big house clean a while back, and so we're in the bedroom, and I'm standing on the bed, and I'm cleaning the ceiling fan, and from my vantage our bed is huge. It's like four, four feet high. From the vantage point on top of the bed, I can see on top of that armoire thing, whatever that is. It's like a closet deal. And it's the same thing where it's like there's like an inch and a half of dust on top of that. And I was like, I'm not even going to clean that. Screw that. How does that even happen? How does it get made? I oh, and I also found like a giant, like in my places also where giant mobs go to die. So dust, dust balls and giant upside down. Moths. It's like one of those elephant graveyards, but it's for moths. Oh, it was so gross. You know, here's a but Well, that's one of those science questions, though. Like, how is it? That all of that like half an inch of dust ends up on top of our our wardrobe in the in the bedroom like what, and it's not just dust right like you can understand if it was just straight out full on dust like uh, you know you know just like uh, like you might find in like a I don't know like a vacant lot where there's just basically just dirt that has fallen out of the air but when you look on top of the wardrobe in our bedroom it's not just dust it's like it's almost like dust that has formed itself into lint do you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? In other words, it's like lint made out of dust, and you're like, well, how does that even happen? Does the dust have some sort of sentient intelligence? Does it have, is it able to connect itself? Jim, do you understand what I'm saying when I say it's like lint made out of dust? But it's on top of a wardrobe. Well, I guess you'd never let it get to that state, though. All right. Do you constantly clean, Tim? Yes. All right. And I don't do that. I don't do that. Uh, I should get people for that. I really should. It's like, but it's like that thing of your, like, your navel lint always being blue. Like, how, why is that? I mean, you know, your clothes aren't all blue. Why is the why is your navel lint always blue? Jeans. Mm, your jeans aren't over your belly button, though. I mean, unless you're, I mean, unless you're Ed Grimley. Can we go back to talk about the butt cake again or whatever the, <laughs> the butt cake? <laughs> Great, it's booty bread, Tim. I the judges. Butt cake would be the sort. Of, butt cake would be like the Hydrox to the to the Oreo that is booty bread. <laughs> I'm sorry, kids. We can't afford booty bread, uh, but I went to the dollar store. Have some butt cake. <laughs> Dad, all the other kids have booty bread. Why do I have to have butt cake? Because we're poor. All right, it's 503-733-2970. It's already the best show ever. 503-733-2970. Uh, remember to ask this question about the facts of life later. And I don't mean the actual facts of life like birds and bees and whatever. Uh, I have this question about the television program, The Facts of Life. Um, all right, so I have a whole bunch of notes 
for such a tedious goddamn debate last night, I have a whole bunch of notes about it. Most of them just about how terrible it is. And Like, at one point, we were watching the debate, and I actually had to... Uh, because you would call me earlier and said you're like ah screw this I'm done I'm just, no, just, it was way too frustrating to watch I just I stopped paying attention boy and it's like what is the point of these candidates get because Tom broke up boy what a useless load he is they won't let him retire they just pick him up every day and sit him on a podium but I mean do you suppose that he's got something incriminating or something and that's why they have to keep giving him and when did his upper lip disappear he it's gone it's like he's turning into Barney Frank. Also, when is somebody going to point out that Tom Brokaw either has a speech impediment or has had a stroke that they won't admit to? I mean, I know we all get older, but that's not what that is. Tom Brokaw does have it. And so, as we're here tonight, we encourage um, everyone to send in their questions. And I mean, oh, he has that's that, pretty good. Like, he can't, he can't work his mouth properly. And, but he, and I'm telling you right now, I'm just going to flat out say this. Tom Brokaw had Botox done before this. I'm telling you. Flat out, no fooling around. Tom Broca had Botox done. And he looked like he was embalmed. In a good way, I guess. Because sometimes when they say that, it means like bad makeup. I mean like he had no pores. He was completely smooth and poreless. And he's like 100 years old. Uh, and uh, that's a, and he had a bad, uh, that's a bad rug he's wearing, too. So uh, just, you know, what? Just, just embrace the fact that he can't talk anymore and find somebody else. So, so Tom Broca... He's just he's such an impotent uh, moderator, too. He's just, I'd like to remind you that you all agreed to this one-minute format. I don't understand. Can you hear my microphone yes. now? My microphone's cutting in now, I damn it. I can. Um, yeah, how, how come they could ask McCain one question, and then I would be waiting for Barack Obama to, you know, rebut, and then it would go to another question for McCain? You know, that's a good question. I never really got that either, Tim. Cause yeah. you, uh, sometimes, like, McCain got follow-ups and Barack didn't, and sometimes McCain would get, like, three questions in a row, it seemed, that... I'm not saying it was biased, but it just seemed weird. It did seem like McCain was kind of getting more of that response time than, than Barack Obama did. So that was so that was weird. Um, but uh, and my other question is, what is the point of these guys fighting for like six months about how to set up these debate rules when then neither of them want to obey them? Because Obama and McCain kept it. How many times can Tom Brokaw go, I'd like to remind you to stick to the rules that we all agreed on. Like, why did they agree to the rules if they clearly weren't ever going to follow and them? And they can't. How can they not make them follow the rules? If that, those are rules. Exactly. Like, how, you know, Tom Brokaw ought to just have a kill switch on the microphone. One minute. Done. I mean, if the rule is going to be you can only talk for a minute, at a minute your mic turns off. The end. Done. You know, the orchestra plays you off. But, boy, God, how, how right were we not to carry that debate on this station last oh. night? It was, it was just too much. I mean, I think we'll still carry next Wednesdays because it's the final one. And it's our last chance to make fun of these guys before the election. So we're still going to carry the, the debate next Wednesday. But, boy, goddamn, that, that was that was just dodging a bullet that we didn't carry that last night. Um, it was almost as if, you know, Barack Obama let his dog loose to crap on John McCain's lawn and wouldn't admit that he did it. And McCain was just so grumpy. He just did not. He seemed crotchety. That's the thing, right? Didn't he seem like a crotchety? They don't like each other. And I know that when you're running against people, you start to, you know, you get, you don't cotton to each other, as James Carville said. But but they really, really just dislike each other. You can tell. By the way, afterward, it should be noted, uh, I know you didn't watch this long, Sarah, but afterward, Barack Obama did the Clinton thing. Uh, stuck around, went into the crowd, shook hands. McCain, gone. McCain grabbed that weird zombie crypt keeper wife of his, and they were gone. Like <laughs> seriously, they hadn't even. And I'd like to thank everybody for coming out. It's like Cindy and John McCain were out the door. All right. Wow, that was really good on Barack's behalf. Then. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, I've got a new uh, unsubstantiated, ill-founded uh, piece of gossip about John McCain. Right here, we're going to report it as though it's fact, though. Later on, right here. No proof. We're going to report it like it's true. 
So we're going to do that later on. Uh, what else? Oh man, uh, we, you know, I think we've got calls about this. Let me look down at my. Yeah, we'll get the we'll get some calls about this here in a few. Um, later on, we got Lisa Desjardins. We'll ask her some stuff. Steve Kastenbaum, Carl Click going to be here. Uh, all of that. So I'll take awkward for a thousand. By the way, did you catch that moment last night when McCain called him that one? Oh yeah. What the hell was that about? Did Wait, you see that, Sarah? No, he called who? Obama? So I, I think he forgot his name. Um, well, I I think. Oh, that bodes well. That is possible that he forgot his name. Well, there's only a couple salu- There's only a couple reasons for this in my mind. One, McCain forgot the name of the man against whom he was running. I think that could be true. Which, as Jed Bartlett once noted, you know they do that stupid thing. Sarah Palin does this, where she says, um, she says, well, my opponent. Which makes her sound like really dotty, like she can't remember who it is she's running against. But McCain had this moment last night, and I believe this is either because he's forgetful slash senile, or this is more of that talking in code business that we were discussing yesterday where they are, and I do believe this to be the case, I do believe that uh, the Republican ticket is trying to speak between the lines a little bit to some folks who maybe, let's say, vote on things other than a candidate's record or positions. Um, but there was this moment last night when John McCain is, you know, doing what he always does. He's talking about how he's a maverick and whatever. And and, uh, and he said, my friends, listen, which is like his and most... he said, my friends, one more oh, time God. last night. Jesus, that was... I told that, that to somebody this morning. That was last time, and he, and he only said it a couple times. Oh, God. But but he was talking about there was some energy bill that he you know vetoed because he's you know or he he voted against rather because he's you know because he's, he's a, maverick. a maverick, and he said there was a veto an energy bill that came through for the energy companies all loaded down with pork and earmarks and all kinds of goodies and entitlements, and he said I'm paraphrasing here we can find the actual sound soundbite but he says my friends you know who voted for that bill this one and he like points at Barack Obama. And then he says, you know who voted against it? I did. And that this one, I can't quite quantify why that is such a awkward sounding phrase to me. But that, it, it, you know, it sounds like a condescending grandparent or older person talking to a child or perhaps someone else who they don't necessarily think is on the same level they are. Oh, boy. But, I mean, it, it was striking. The separation between generations. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was a dividing Absolutely. line that was clear. Well, I mean, you it, got... it's like the old America and the new America. Absolutely. And that was never more clear, by the way, uh, than when John McCain, who, let's be honest, needs a lot of young people to vote for him. Not going to happen. But he needs a lot of younger voters to sort of get behind him. So how does he do that? Remember when Reg, when Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill got together? No, no one remembers Tip O'Neill getting together with Ronald Reagan to work something out. Or no that one remembers. Thing that happened in Lebanon in the eighties, and, and there were two other things. He forgot that he said his first hero was Ronald Reagan, and came back and, and said his hero was Teddy Roosevelt. Right, I caught that. Yeah. So there were two heroes that he couldn't separate. Yeah. Was it hero number one and hero number two? It was yeah. He did seem he really did seem like a, a bygone era, and uh, and he did do that cop out thing too, where he was asked to put those three things in order, and he's like, well, I'm gonna give them all. And Barack was like, okay, I'm gonna put it's like energy and yeah, healthcare and something healthcare, else, and, and he's just like, I'm, I'm gonna give them all equal equal time. Equal my time. Wa- it was such a cop out. At that moment, my wife just went. She did one of her patented like yeah things. You know, like she couldn't even muster any words out of her mouth. Just sort of a scream. Um, yeah, that moment though when McCain called him that one is. 
really was really cringe-inducing to me. It there's something weird there. I don't know if he was told to use that phrase, but I don't. And I don't think I'm alone there. I think a lot of people found that phrase to sound like a like a person from a different um, era and from a different way of thinking. Let's say. Uh, so we'll, I guess, I think we'll probably be here. I think we will be hearing more about that phrase today, by the way, as we, we'll do these calls and we'll break. I think as we go on and we talk about the last night, we have coverage. I think you're going to hear a lot of people seizing on that moment when he called Barack Obama that one as a moment that seems a little awkward. Uh, we'll do these and we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick, we can answer the question about the dust. It really isn't sentient, even though it's mostly hair and skin cells and clothing yeah. fibers. All right, I got to clean all these skin cells out of my uh, room. Hold on. Yes. Yeah. Every time you walk through the room, a bunch of that stuff floats up in the air and drifts around. And if the top of the armoire is five percent of the floor space, well, five percent of that dust in the air settles on top of the armoire, and you flip the blankets back, and the same thing happens. Oh, every and so there's actually. Okay, and so that makes okay, but that that actually makes sense though that there's a lot of probably little tiny pieces of clothing and bedding that get up there too, which is why it sort of turns into lint. Yeah, it uh, was. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, one more, and then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I uh, got a great song for a Palin watch. Okay. Um, there's a band called The Causeway on uh, an album called With Loving and Open Arms. Mm-hmm. It's called The Fact Finding Mission. Okay. Uh, the opening lyric to the song is, you want questions for your answers, you want answers for your questions. Fact-finding mission. All right. Excellent. I'll look into it, sir. Right on. Thank you. Oh, by yeah. the way, our friends, the punk group, have a new song. It's just called Sarah Palin Sucks. And those are the only awesome. lyrics. Those are the only words in the song. Have you heard it? Yeah, last night. It's pretty hilarious. It's, those are literally, I think it's just Sarah Palin Sucks over and over for like two and a half minutes. We'll take a break. Back after this, your calls and Lisa Desjardins. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. This one email, Rick, I don't have time to read this whole thing. He just says, Rick, honestly, in these ads, there's not even a mention of who is running against Jeff Merkley. All I know is that Jeff Merkley eats hot dogs and supports corruption and sexual discrimination. I am totally voting for him. Go, Jeff Merkley. That's what I'm saying. It's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill... CNN Radio Correspondent to the Stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. How are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm in the Nashville airport. You might be able to hear the country music playing behind me. Is there actual country music, or are you there making a crude stereotype? Music. No, it, it, it is both a stereotype and the truth. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of stereotype. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. All right. What is the uh, general consensus about last night? This is going to be the sole responsible question I ask you today. Wow, geez, the pressure's on. Um, I'd say a bit on the boring side for a debate. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, big, uh, biggest loser, perhaps Tom Brokaw. Oh, man. Uh, First of all, lay off yeah. the Botox, Tom Brota, Brokaw. Oh, I mean, really. You know, he's... I was looking at his back. Yeah. I didn't see. Really? Yeah, no, he's, he's I had no all. Idea. He's smooth and poreless and not in a way that God intended. <laughs> well, you know, we haven't even talked about the Joe Biden Botox rumors uh-huh. that came out of last year, but, but, which they denied, but. Um, yeah, you know, I think John McCain was more comfortable. I think it was a better night for him. But I still think that, uh, you know, our polling shows viewers think Barack Obama won. I think it was just an awkward 
awkward debate. I think it was awkward in the way, like, like two teenage kids who don't like each other, but right. their moms do. <laughs> so they, they end up in the same carpool a totally. lot. Totally, totally. And, and they're... It's, it's, yeah. Um, so a couple of things. I have one question. We actually have two listener questions for you. Um, oh, great. This one says, uh, when McCain said he would instruct Paulson to buy up bad housing debt, he then later, though, talked about a government spending freeze. Wouldn't the government buying up bad mortgage debt mean spending money, which is the complete opposite of a spending freeze? Very good question. Uh, you know, and McCain didn't explain this, and we got just a paragraph afterward to explain this housing program. McCain is suggesting that that be part of the rescue plan that was passed last week. So that's $700 billion. Right. He wants $300 billion to go to buy back these, uh, you know, at-risk mortgages. So it wouldn't be a spending. It wouldn't be spending for the new president. It would be spending from money already passed. Uh, and then here's a separate question. This is on the economy, but I know that that's kind of your bailiwick. Um, yeah. Michael says, uh, "Hey, on the economy, they say that pension plans lost two trillion dollars recently." He says, "Where exactly did it disappear to? It's not like it caught fire and was destroyed. It has to be somewhere. If it's no longer here, am I missing something? Where did it go?" Yeah, yeah. I, this is how I, I keep thinking about this day in and day out. You know, we're 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 making the same products. We're all still buying gas. You know, all of the physical things in our economy essentially are still here that were here two weeks ago. So, what is going on with the two trillion dollars that is now missing? You know, essentially, uh, you can look at it a couple different ways. But but that money was on paper. It was money that was in accounts. Uh, that, that was, it wasn't actually printed money anywhere. Uh, it was just Wall Street estimating the worth of all of these various things. And, and Wall Street overestimated it. At least that's what it thinks now. So Wall Street said, hey, I think that pony's worth a thousand bucks. And then the pony stumbled and fell. And then Wall Street said, oh, no, I think that pony's worth a hundred bucks. All right. There was never really money involved at all. It was always like estimates of value. I, I do have to say, I don't mean for this to sound condescending. You just now describing the economy by comparing it to a pony is the cutest thing that has ever happened in the history of this program. Really, there's oh, no. no fooling. That's adorable is what that is. Um, all right. Hey, what was up with John McCain calling Barack Obama that one? Right. How about it? And, and you probably saw about one minute after that happened, Bill Burton, who's, his communication, who's Barack Obama's communications director, sent out one of the greatest emails of the campaign. And most of these emails are very, very annoying, including the ones from him. But the campaign just, the email said, question. And then, did John McCain just call Barack Obama that one? You know, and that, and that was, and it, you know, went up to a thousand reporters probably. Uh, yeah, you know, when you play the audio back, it doesn't sound as bad as when you talk about it. Right. You know, because he kind of just said it offhand, but but he did do the full-handed point. Yeah. Almost like some sort of Star Trek maneuver point. To Obama when he was doing that, I think the whole to me the weirdest thing being there was uh, uh, John McCain was pacing a lot mm -hmm. there while Barack Obama was talking. I think, but that, I mean he's used to doing that, but it just seemed to, it seemed to, it, it was distracting to me when I was watching. It just it, it, John McCain seemed crotchety and unhappy to be there, and Barack Obama seemed testy and impatient to me. I mean neither you could I mm, mean my yeah. read on it, and my read is, is that both of those guys. Just wanted it to get done so they could get back out on the campaign trail. <laughs> that was the thing. I think that they, that's a good read. Yeah, that they're both like, look, this isn't going to change anybody's mind. I got places to be. Can we let's let's, let's get it on, get it done? <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I wish I could have been down closer too because I almost felt like one way they were expressing their like latent hostility at having to be there mm -hmm. was that it seemed almost like they were creeping up 
uh, disarmingly close to the voters who are asking the questions. Yeah, no, John like, McCain. Like, it's getting closer and closer. John, the first question out of the gate, John McCain, like what, like Oprah style, walked into the crowd to talk to that one guy. And unless you're Bill Clinton, that just looks weird. Yeah, um, I think. And, and that's John McCain's line. He did. I think he did better, but it was a little weird. Yeah. You know, and what is? Here's the thing. I keep asking you questions, and you can't answer. But what? What is with them fighting for months over these rules that they clearly right. don't wish to follow and aren't going to follow? You know, that that is the world of the hundreds of campaign staffers who have one single job that keeps them in, their, in the campaign, keeps them earning money, keeps them feeling important. That job is to negotiate, debate, rule, and so they fight over it to the nail. And then these two candidates get there, and uh, the candidates were never really a huge part of the negotiation. They probably ran by right. the final idea of, hey, what do you guys want in general? Yeah, and I think that's probably where Tom Brokaw probably made his biggest mistake. He he was really trying to get them to stick to the rules, first of all, by being nice, which never works with politicians. And then the other thing is I think at that point – Okay, hey, you guys are the candidates. Who cares what your right. campaigns agreed to? Right. Let's let's go. I mean, that's the thing. He either ought to stick to the rules completely, which means at the minute mark, their mics just go off, or right. you know, you're right. He just needs to say like, look, you you guys clearly have some issues. You know, go and let him <laughs> let him just sort of go at it, uh, because otherwise he looks like this sort of quasi. You know, he has this sort of quasi impotent position of kind of trying to keep control, but he can't really do it. But he can't exactly, exactly, and I think. I think probably uh, there were many awkward moments for both McCain and Obama, but I think of the few, the most awkward that stuck out to me were when McCain was saying, well, if we're going to follow up, I, I want to follow up too. Right. And then uh, at the end, I don't know if you caught this or if they went to the networks, but um, at the very end, when John McCain, I think, moved away from his podium when the debate had ended, um, he was blocking the teleprompter for Tom Brokaw, and Tom Brokaw was trying to wrap it up. That's great. And he's... And, and Tom Broker actually said on mic, he said, you're, you're blocking my script, Senator. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, anyway, the next debate's next week. <laughs> That's wonderful. I did notice that as soon as it was over, like, they, like I don't think they were done wrapping it up, and McCain ran for the back door. I mean, he just <laughs> ran out of there. And then, the, and, but Obama, you know, stuck around and did, again, the Clintonian thing of kind of work in the crowd. Yeah. So. Yeah, I want every last vote in here. And to be fair to McCain, I, I actually was timing how long they stuck around, and McCain did stick around for about five minutes. So really? He, okay. Shake some hands. All right. But, but Barack Obama stuck around for 25 minutes. So, you know, it's, it's, you can't, don't, it felt like John McCain, you know, bolted because of how long well, Obama stayed. Well, because, you know, all politics is sort of, you know, retail in some sense. You know, it's person to person. And I think as somebody, I forget who said this last night, but Barack Obama also knows every single person who was in that debate hall is going to either be interviewed or is going to talk about yeah. it to everybody. And every, yeah. you know, if, if there's, I don't know how, let's, let's pick a number. If there's 100 people in the debate hall, if Barack Obama talks to 50 of them, and if half of those 50, you know, are interviewed or talk to everybody they know, that's a whole lot of people right there who have a positive impression of Barack Obama from somebody they yep. trust. So yep. that is a smart, that is a smart, smart move. A smart play, yeah. And would you agree, just from your political vantage point, that, Look, I mean, there's what, there's three and a half weeks left, something like that. Um, yep, yep. You know, Sarah Palin clearly seems uncontrollable at this point in the sense that, <laughs> well, in the sense that she's kind of on her own script to that's, some, yeah, to some degree. True. I think that's right, yeah. And so she's kind of off laying waste somewhere, you know, like napalming everything. But in the meantime... But they want her to do that. that that's part of the plan as well, right? No, 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 I, I understand that. And then, yeah. you know, so, but she's off kind of doing, you know, her own kind of sort of battle yeah. plan. Yeah. Pardon me. But in the meantime... There's, you know, a couple weeks left. John McCain's got one debate left. 
doesn't really seem like there's any traction. Like, he, he needed a knockout punch last night because the tie goes to the guy who's ahead, and that's Barack Obama. He, he did. He, he doesn't have a lot. Of, and you're going to hear a pundit after pundit say this, but you're right. He doesn't have a lot of um, clear opportunities to, to kind of change the weather of this campaign. And, right. and next week's debate might be one. I, you know, I think it, it, it's tough to figure out how, how does he have a home run next week. Is he going to come out? You know, you know, Sarah Palin is saying, gloves off. Right. Let's go for him. Let's go for the throat. At least that's what she's saying on the campaign trail that she wants. Uh, so will he do that, or will he go the other way? Will he kind of go get back to the you know 2000 John McCain and not and and maybe even say from the start, I want to let everyone know I'm not going to go after my opponent at all tonight. I'm going to talk about my views only and what I think is right in this economy for this right. economy. You know, and you know I I think that would be a, a better way to go. But you know the the consultants say, oh that's so cute. Everyone thinks that it never right, works. Right. Well, on that cheery oh, no. note, <clears throat> I'm going to let you get back to the uh, country music in the background there. So uh, travel oh, yeah, safe. Please. Are you on tomorrow? I am. Um, I, you know, I don't know yet. I, I don't know yet. Maybe. Oh. Well, I think so. We will talk to you in the immediate future. Travel safe. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Right, there you go. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. And we're going to see now if Richie can transfer Steve Kastenbaum, who apparently is on the second warm line right now. Oh, my now. gosh. Are they actually working? I right, will find out. Richie just uh, put it on the screen. He's like, Steve K is on second warm line. Hey, look at that. Hot dog. Well, that's fantastic. All right. And staring, staring. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I am fantabulous. Uh, did you watch the debate last night? Oh, yes, I did. And I uh, anchored our post-debate coverage again. Oh, actually, okay. Yeah, we actually, we're going to be carrying next week's final presidential debate. Uh, we did not carry last night's, which is, no offense to you, there's no reflection on your anchoring, but... Boy, that was really the right call, because that was just, Drudge said it all. You go to Drudge today, and the one-word headline is boring. I mean, that was just an exercise in, in really? insomnia relief. You, you, you felt that way? Wow, I'm surprised, because I felt that there were a lot of uh, interesting moments where they, they took some jabs at each other, and, and it wasn't as sedate as I thought it was going to be. I, maybe it wasn't sedate as so much as it was just two guys. You know what it is? It was like two guys wearing an itchy sweater. You know, it was the guys who were uncomfortable, didn't want to be there. I think, uh, I was just talking to Lisa about this, I think McCain was sort of grumpy, and I think Obama seemed impatient. And it was like they both wanted to get it done because they both had, they both wanted to get back out and actually do the real on-the-trail campaigning. I, And they don't like each other, obviously. Um, there's a huge generation gap, for you know, which is neither good nor bad, but it's the case. There is a huge generation gap there. And it, the whole thing seemed very stilted. And there was no smoothness to last night at all. It just seemed like, I mean, and what do I know? But, I mean, you know, I'm no Candy Crowley or nothing. But it does it does seem to me like I was just hearing sort of a greatest hits line. I mean, this is what a nerd I am. I was actually recognizing specific lines and jokes from stump speeches that have been going on for eight months now. So. Yeah, well, let me, you know, I still have some stuff lined up for my coverage, some, some sound bites. Can I just play you two things really quick? Absolutely. I, I found these two things, like, sort of, sort of like at least entertaining. Senator Obama was the second highest recipient of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac money in history. In history. I never promoted Fannie Mae. In fact, Senator McCain's campaign chairman's firm was a lobbyist on behalf of Fannie Mae, not me. So I like, I like that part because, you know, they're both saying, I'm not the real bad guy, you're the bad guy. I yeah. think, but wouldn't you agree... And I, I'm not. I will try not to make this just some big me, you know, spouting off about, you know, whatever. But wouldn't you agree though that what you just played me is, in a very real way, why people find these debates so pointless sometimes? Because look, it's what the, it's what uh, I think there was an episode of uh, Mad Men where Pete Campbell was talking about 
how he and his father used to do something called arguing over facts that drove his mother crazy. Basically, what that would mean is, you know, they would be arguing over a fact to which there was an actual answer, right? There was an answer. They would be arguing over whether a dog was a poodle or a dachshund. And the dad would say it's a poodle, and Pete Campbell would say it's a dachshund, and the mother would get furious saying, look, there is an answer. You're arguing over something. Why don't you just go look up the answer? Well, this is what last night is, right, where John McCain says, look, he takes, you know, he has more Fannie Mae money than anybody else. And then Barack Obama says, that's not true. And then it just sort of gets, like, at what point is one of them going to go, like, look, you prove it right now. I will be, I will shut up for the rest of the debate. You show me the proof. I will sit here while you prove that statement. Do it right now. I think we tried doing that after the debate. That's what, you know, when, when you watch CNN, you find a lot a lot of our folks on TV talking about all those points, you know? Mm-hmm. I, it just, they leave it up to us. I, su- I, I know, suppose. We had, a, we had a listener on the air, you know, in the post-debate show, and he was talking about that. He was like, I don't understand why Obama doesn't take the gloves off and just go after him when, when he says things like that and, and set him straight. Right. Yeah, and so I guess I hear, I hear what you're saying, yeah. I think the about. American people like answers the american people like facts and i think specifically not to generalize although i'm doing it i think specifically male voters respond you know guys love facts and trivia and statistics and factoids and you know whatever and just you know that's why guys sit and memorize lists of the 50 greatest that and the 20 loudest the other i think voters though in general just want to hear somebody give them actual hard facts and statistics and numbers and i think when you have two guys who are up there and one of them says A, and the other says B, and you know they can't both be true. One of those things, you know, it's like one of you is lying right now. Yeah, but uh, some people do want that, but but a, a large portion of the country apparently doesn't because Sarah Palin's speeches in front of the right audience are, are hugely successful. Well, I'll give you that, but John McCain's no Sarah Palin. I mean, really. let's And I mean that in, in the best possible way. John McCain is no Sarah Palin. And I actually made a note to myself last night, uh, and then we'll, we'll actually talk about, the, about the, uh, the, the financial situation today, but I made this note to myself at 8.38 p.m. last night. I was watching it on TV. I wrote this down. I said, this is uh, just my raw notes. I said, at least Sarah Palin is entertaining. If we just take it as a given that there's no substance from any of them and they're all lying to us, at least give me someone who's fun to watch. That was my thing last night. Is it like, look, I believe that, you know, I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad people, but they're politicians, which means that you can never really trust what they're saying all that much. They're both that they're giving a spin. So if we just sort of assume that they're all just kind of shysters, you know what, I'll take the person that at least give me, gives me some laughs. It means, you know, it's sort of amusing in a sitcom kind of way, which Sarah Palin is, and John McCain just seems like a guy who's at the, you know, he seems like a guy who runs a store down the street who's always accusing everybody of shoplifting. <laughs> you kids, you buy that magazine. You can't just read it. You know, that's what John McCain is to me. So, uh-huh. all right. Um, I, I'm looking at the scene in prep sheet today, and there's a word that I love here, although I don't love seeing it in, in reference to the financial situation, the drubbing on Wall Street. And I love that word. The drubbing on Wall Street apparently continued with, wait for it, a 500-point loss. So... I've lost, so to speak, total track now of where we are in the net loss and gain on Wall Street right now. So you want to know? Well, no, the, but tell me. The market overall this year so far is down 29%. Mm. All right, but I have some good news. We're looking at a plus sign right now on the Dow Jones Industrial Average after taking some wild triple-digit swings in both directions all morning. It was really crazy down there this morning, but now we're up, and it seems to be steady. Uh, it's at 101, now it's up 94, so it's at that 100-point mark, more or less, in positive territory right now. So this so, is, go ahead. 
So it looks like uh, it's going to be a little unstable for at least a few more weeks until dollars start flowing from Washington. So this is like when, you know, you're in a horrific automobile accident or something, uh, but then the doctors say, no, we've upgraded your condition from, uh, you know, terminal to critical. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the, the stock market really is the sideshow. It, it's the economy that uh, is really the main feature here. You know, we, we, are, we keep talking about all these different reports that come out, you know, manufacturing reports, right. uh, consumer spending reports. Those are the things right now that really matter. The stock market is just reacting to those reports and, and, and the news out there, the economic news. So until those reports start getting a, a little less gloomy, uh, you know, we're still going to be in very uncertain times. It was also, it's just a side note to tie this back into the debate. This is just my uh, just my observation, but did you catch that weird moment last night when uh, when McCain was talking to uh, I think it was the second or third question out of the gate, and McCain was talking to a voter and he was talking about the financial situation, and McCain told the guy he said, "Well, you probably never even heard of Fannie Mae before all this happened," which is a <laughs> weird and strangely condescending thing to say. You know, when you're you an said... ignorant voter, I know all, you know nothing. I, when he said that, my reaction was, "Really." Yeah. I mean, is there anybody in the U.S. who, who didn't, you know, who's a homeowner who didn't know what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, or if you went to college, you, you, you know? Simply fund a Manhattan. I'm sorry, that was a little. We just play, accidentally played a little sound bite there, but um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It was especially now, right? Just, I mean, even if even if you think it's true, you don't say that to a voter. Look, you probably never heard of money before this week, so just let me handle it. I mean, that's kind of what it comes out as. You know, I felt I had the same reaction. Uh, my reaction when he said it was like. Really? Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, and by the way, we have here, uh, uh, this is a final tally. John McCain said, my friends, a total of 24 times in 90 minutes. So there you go. Wow. So that, how many six, six packs is that if you're, if you're playing the drinking game? If you're, if you're playing, well, uh, Jesus, I don't even know. I mean, that'd be, uh, what, four? I guess that'd be four. So, so four, so that would be actually a full case. Wow. You're drinking a beer each time, that is actually a full case, which, you know, which is really nothing to our audience. We can, you know, hang handle that in a walk. All right. Uh, on that note, my friend, are you? Uh, there's a little John McCain for you. Uh, now I see now, and I say that sometimes too. And I and here's the thing. I picked it up from Don Geronimo from the Don and Mike show. Don Geronimo for years ended calls by saying, "Thank you, my friend," which is where I got it from. But now I feel like John McCain, who probably also got it from Don Geronimo. Uh, like we're talking about chicken pox. Uh, now I feel like I got to drop it because now I don't look like I look like I'm pilfering John McCain. But uh, are you on tomorrow, sir? No, I have off for the Jewish holiday. All right. Well, uh, happy Yom Kippur to you. And uh, you. is uh, wait, is that right? Well, it's just funny to call it happy because it's the day of... No, it's the Tome. It's a Tome. This is like... The Tome, I mean, yeah. It's happy Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. That's what I should have said. Tim just gave me the Tim just gave me the stern, no, 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 you've made a misstep. All right. funny. All right, hold on. So Rosh Hashanah is happy. Yom Kippur is somber. Yeah, you, you basically say, uh, like if you want to sound like you're in the know, you say, uh, have an easy fast. An easy fast. All right. So this is, Tim, is this like, it's like Lent, right? You wouldn't say happy Lent to a Catholic. Right. All right. Exactly. See? All right, Same right. thing. So, yeah, right. That's why Tim's the news director, and I'm just the guy who comes here and, you know, goes, da, 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 da. All right. Have an easy fast, my friend. Thank you. All right. There All you right. go. Thank you, Steve. All right. There you go. Fantastic. All right. I blame this on my day planner. My day planner very handily lists out all the different uh, whatever. And I kept thinking, that's right, it's Rosh Hashanah, which is happy. This week, not so. Because is, isn't Yom Kippur sort of a, uh, here are the many ways in, in which I have sinned and so forth. All right, so there you go. Wait, so, ah, never mind. I was going to try to do a whole Catholic uh, equivalent there, but I think there really is no equivalent to Rosh Hashanah. 
Yeah. Catholics just get the same old New Year's, everybody else. All right. Well, on that note, my friends, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, your phone calls later on. Carl Click, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, we will have uh, speaking in 60 seconds and all of that. Plus your phone call. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. Why, hello there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program, assembled in the United States by a collection of robots. 503-733-2970. I'm just going to begin wishing everybody a happy Kwanzaa, no matter what the holiday actually is. That's going to be my catch-all. It could be like a Festivus thing, where we just create a completely fictitious holiday tied to no particular part of the year. And you don't know what to say? You say happy... But with vowels. You're a smart man. That's what you came up with. <laughs> well, I really have no response to that. It's 503-733-2970. Um, well, I have all these notes to get to. I'm just going to make this one observation here, and then we'll undoubtedly talk more. Are we going to undoubtedly talk more about the debate? Oh, yes. Ah, that's great. Uh, except to say this. Did you, get, did you catch that woman standing up in the crowd, and she said... And it's one of those things that sounds dirty, even though it's not. She stood up and she said, what are you going to do about, as a country, she's talking about global warming or whatever. And she said, as a country, what are you going to do about getting us more green jobs? And I, I, just, I, I just started cackling to myself. And Lara just looked over. Was and she, the African-American woman standing like over to the yeah, left? Yeah, yeah she stood up. And she, one part I saw. About climate change, um, what are you going to do about getting us more green jobs? And I just started to giggle like a, like a school child. And Lara just looked over and she just narrowed her and she goes, stop. It's not even a dirty word. I'm, just, I'm sorry. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Portland made fashion news today because the home slides down the hill. Slid 300 feet down. The hillside was soaked. Neighbors rescued a woman from inside. This happened at 6438 Southwest Burlingame Place. Now, it came off its foundation around 6 o'clock this morning, slid down the hill, crashed into another house just below it. It's just a pile of matchsticks now. A uh, neighbor said they heard uh, someone named Kathy uh, talking as the house fell backwards, and a neighbor used a ladder to get her out of the fallen house. Two other homes were hit before the sliding house came to a halt, and amazingly, nobody was seriously injured. One of the houses that was struck actually moved off its foundation. The house came to a stop approximately 300 feet from its foundation on Burlingame, leaving a big hole there. The houses have created uh, such a scene that you can't tell where one house begins and the other ends. At least a half dozen houses were evacuated at that time. And there have been landslides in this place before 1996. Neighbors uh, heard their houses snapping. That's creepy. Uh, a snapping sound. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear the houses next door snapping. snapping. So Much like what they heard this morning. That is the signal pen, uh, t letting you know that your house is about to slide down the hill. That is, a, that, is, that is the signal that your house's value is about to plummet even more than it already has. Snapping boards and popping trees. Wait, is anybody injured? No. This is a house that slid down a hill, which sounds like the beginning to some sort of a limerick. Um, uh, it, is it too soon? 
I suppose. Mm. Okay. Well, was no hurt? injuries were reported. I was just going to say. You can base your, your lines on that. I've heard of the housing market falling. Uh, you could also say plummeting. I've heard that the housing market was on a downslide. I've I've heard that the housing economy. Never mind. I was the joke. Fall, slide, plummet, whatever. So I heard this story all morning. Everywhere I, it was, what people, it was what people were talking about this morning. Everywhere. But I, I haven't actually seen any pictures like before pictures though. So when you say the house was on a hill. Was it one of those houses that was out? So it was out on those like little stilty things that project it beyond the edge, or I haven't seen the before picture, so I couldn't tell you for some. Because you see, especially like in California, you see those houses all the time. Like in San Diego, they have a lot of these houses where you'll get to uh, sort of an area that is by maybe like a cliffed area or a very d- sharp drop, mm-hmm. and they're these houses uh, that I guess are great and they must be exorbitantly expensive to live in. But the houses are sort of terrifying even to look at because they jut out past the edge. And then they've got these weird struts underneath that are keeping the house. So the house was here, and it slid down the hill here. See where it was? Yeah, well, so it's right on the edge of a real steep drop there. And and we have them in the West Hills. We have several homes like that. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of those things where you just have to trust that they're built solidly and that the ground isn't just going to give away. But then the ground always give away. (laughs) But then the ground does give away. That's the thing. And I think I can say this is a relatively stable scientific fact. If you have something really, really heavy that is perched on a pile of dirt on the edge of a hill, eventually that thing is going to fall over or it's off. A, it's a pile of rubble. That's exactly what it is, Tim. All right. It's the housing equivalent of the, uh, the old man on the mountain. Eventually, gravity will just take that thing down to the bottom. Houses seek their own level. Wait. Housing market bottomed out? I, I can't quite... So. It, like, there's a pun, and I can't quite grab it. Uh... No, I got nothing. I'll come back to that later. Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's find some good news, shall we? JetBlue has just added a daily flight from Portland to Long Beach. The flight expands access to the Los Angeles area, offers several connecting flights to major destinations. The Port of Portland says more than a million passengers travel between LAX and Portland each and every year. Wow, this house looks horrible. I mean, this is all this woman's belongings. Oh, Oh, that sucks. I mean, here's the thing about, I mean, that's why I want to know what the house looked like before. I know there aren't any before pictures yet. Well, I guess the pictures of the house before that would have been inside the house. I I guess, but I mean, I mean, it does look, the the house looks now, this house that fell down a hill, Mm -hmm. which still sounds like it ought to be followed, but there once was a house that fell down a hill. There once was a, I'm missing a syllable there. But when you I think look, you had something with the sliding house market. The sliding house or market. The See, there's a pun downside. that's there's a there's just out of reach. There's some pun that I can't quite grab. But when you look at the house now, as you said, it's just a big pile of sticks. And it pushed right into a nice car too. Oh, that was the, that must have been the neighbor's car. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you're insured against that kind of thing. <laughs> neighbor's house collapsing, but because you know, occasionally insurance companies will try to screw you by saying something with an occasionally unforeseen. Insurance companies will try to screw you <laughs> just occasionally. Because they'll say that, well, we're not going to pay for that. That was an unforeseen act of God, which is an interesting legal term. I mean, it's odd that it is actually written into your insurance contract that God may, in fact, just snap and go crazy. So if you're an agnostic or an atheist, do you suddenly believe in your creator if I, this happens? I don't know. I mean, I sort of wonder about that. The, the idea that there is, in fact, a for, you know an act of God and an unforeseen act of God, which implies that your insurance might actually cover foreseen acts of God. In other words, if there was to be some sort of prophecy about it. Uh, and so low... who represents God in court? Uh, Lionel Hutz. Okay. All right. 
Anyway, so that house is just a big pile of kindling. When you look at that house now, because it's surrounded by the, all the other houses that are not piles of kindling, it sort of looks like those news stories we have every now and again where it's like some some trailer park where they've gone to bust somebody, and there's always just a huge pile of lumber in the background for no readily apparent reason. Like, without fail, every time they go to rouse some guy out of, like, a meth operation, they'll have the shot of him being taken out of the house you know, with his idiot wife and his ten screaming kids in the background. And then they pull back and they do the wide shot as the guy's being put into the squad car. And in the background of every, like, Rube's house, there is just a huge pile of, like, scrap lumber. And you get the feeling they're not burning it. It's not being used for fuel, but they're clearly not building anything out of it. It's like every redneck house just comes with a big pile of sticks in the backyard that you don't use for anything. Anyway, that's what this house looks like now. Here's Tim Riley. The man who gunned down the parents of his ex-girlfriend in Longview had a violent history. This fellow named Scott was 19 years old, and he was captured less than a mile away after a short manhunt. The arresting officer said on the way to jail, Scott threatened to kill him. The officer wrote, I asked Scott if he was threatening me, and he replied, You bet I am. I'm going to expletive find you and kill you. That does count as a threat, I think. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the, the shooting, a close friend said she knew Scott planned to, con, uh, to confront his ex-girlfriend's parents, who he lived with with a short time while he was dating the 17-year-old daughter. Well, it's Longview. You know, you think there'd be other girls in Longview. <laughs> have you and been there to, are neighboring towns. Have you ever been not, to Longview? <laughs> I don't. There's there a rather... no escape to look for women elsewhere? No, there's a little... Is this the end of the line? <laughs> I think if you're in Longview, it is both the beginning and the end of your line. Just like being born in Chehalis. There is no, there's, there's no, uh, you know, there's no B through Y. It really is a straight through line from A to Z. So I'm looking at a, a, a before picture of that house. I think it's from Google Maps. And it's a top-down picture. That was a, you can tell it was a big house. I mean, it was at one point. The house is more compact now. But at one point, this was a large, large house. You can, I mean, there it is right now, Tim. See this red dot? Okay, that's a top-down view of that house. Okay. So that looks like a spacious abode, um, which is on the edge of a hill, held up by dirt. I'm just saying. All right, here's Tim Riley. A fisherman has been found dead after falling into the north fork of the Lewis River. Rescuers began searching for the 42-year-old man last night after 911 dispatchers radio that he'd fallen into the river. He'd been fishing on an island near the Happer Road boat ramp that's east of Woodland in far north Clark County, when he fell in. Boats and a dive team were dispatched to the area an hour later, but weren't able to access the area due to swift, shallow waters. The man was last seen downstream from the boat ramp. Rescue efforts were suspended. The man was found early this morning by rescue teams, but he was dead. So we've got this one. Rick, how about this? The local housing market is in a landslide. Mm, no, no, that doesn't really work either, because that's not a pun you would actually use about the economy. Um, all right, we'll we'll keep looking. All right, here's Tim Riley. All right, so uh, let's play that uh, that famous cut from the debate last night. The one. Oh, this is the uh, this is McCain talking. Yeah. To, okay. So it, it's kind of long, but it's in here somewhere. So here we go. Research and development investment on the part of the of the United States government is certainly appropriate. I think once it gets into productive uh, stages, that we ought to obviously turn it over to the private sector. By the way, my friends, I, I know you grow a little weary of this back and forth. Yes. There's an energy bill on the floor of the Senate loaded down with goodies, billions for the oil companies. And it was sponsored by Bush and Cheney. You know who voted for it? Might never know. 
That one. You know who voted against it? Me. I have fought. Me. Me. John McCain. That one. That one. But he. But see, even the way he says it too is not good. No, it's not. But you don't even. But you don't even know the half of it. Watching it is so much worse because he does the angry point, and he doesn't even make eye contact. Down with goodies, billions for the oil companies, and it was sponsored by Bush and Cheney. You know who voted for it? Might never know. That one. You know who? Wow. So he's still looking at the audience. And he just takes his right arm and he does like an accusatory, like, Jacques, right at uh, Barack Sonny Obama. Boy. Exactly. When he, young whippersnapper. When he did, that's totally what it is, right? I mean, that, it's very, I mean, at the very least, can we agree that that is a little bit of a uh, generational divide right there? And quite possibly more. But at, the, but at the bare minimum, that sounds like when your grandparent is scolding you or one of your friends for taking one too many cookies out of the jar or something. I mean, that's the, that's the tone of voice he has there. Bush and Cheney. You know who voted for it? Might never know. That one, you know. And he sounds not a little bit evil right there as well. Also, can I tell you that I hate the phrase goodies? The word goodies bugs the hell out of me. Uh, Everybody loves goodies. I know, but nobody. I, I like goodies as well. I just don't like the word used to describe them. I never like Sam goodies. You know what? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Vanished Twin Photography. Uh, the only man who can photograph me and not make me look bad, Jason Crump. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Rick? What's up, sir? Hey, I was wondering, did you try the uh, Google Earth uh, for that house that fell? Uh, I haven't tried it. Somebody sent me, and I guess it was from Portland Maps. I guess it wasn't actually from Google Earth. Um, Tim, do we have, do you know the actual address of that house? I mean, not where it is now, but. Where it was, <laughs> 6438 Southwest Burlingame Place. 6438 Burlingame Place. All right. Um, Southwest. All right. Well, that's not too far from me. Really? Yeah. I hear that housing. No, see, and I get oh. it right there, and I can't. I got nothing. There's a nice, flat, empty lot for sale. That's Tim Riley. The, bottom, the bottom fell out of the housing market. No? Followed by the walls. <laughs> All right. Excellent. All right. Uh, oh, hey, by the way, uh, in yeah. case it, if anybody wants to go to, uh, I've linked to this at rickemerson.com, or if you want to go to vanishedtwin.com, uh, I made that uh, that, that remark when you first came out here that uh, really you, and I'm not just trying to, uh, to wax your surfboard here in public, but you really are the only person who can photograph me and make me look good. Everybody, all, because I'm just not that photogenic for some reason, but there are a couple uh, really, really, really great photographs of the Mythbusters event on Sunday. Um, and uh, some of Adam and Jamie, couple with me, couple with Aaron and Jen, and uh, so you can see those at, at uh, yeah, at van no, at vanishedtwin.com. I've linked to it from my site. You can see those at vanishedtwin.com. So nicely done, sir. Thank you very much, Rick. All right, thank you, Jason. There All you right, go. Take care. Jason Crump from Vanished Twin Photography. Uh, there's a photograph. If you go to Vanished Twin, you go down to the bottom. I think it's Client Portfolio or is there something like Business something. You click on that, and there's a MythBusters. Uh, album where you can see photos of the Mythbusters event. There's one of me backstage where I, I look kind of dorky because I think Did I'm. You get any with the guys? Yeah, well, I got I got one backstage, but I got sort of uh, I got sort of ambushed backstage because I showed up at the event and the thing is they were going to do the photos and everything afterward. So I get there and I I'm not wearing what I'm going to be wearing that day. I'm wearing like, you know, just like it's like a bowling shirt or something. I'm going to change. Then I haven't done I haven't done my hair. You know, I I'm all a mess. I walk in. And Jason and I are talking to Adam and Jamie from Mythbusters backstage. And Adam's like, well, why don't we just do your photos now, Rick? And I'm like, I, okay. You know, and I, you don't want to be telling the guy who's the star of the show. You don't want to tell those guys, like, no, you'll do it on my schedule. Me, Rick Emerson. Uh, and so I'm like, uh, okay. So I stand against a wall. So I'm wearing this ill-fitting bowling shirt. My hair's all effed up. And I haven't had any coffee, so I'm like half asleep. So I'm doing this weird, dopey half-smile. So for that one, Jason picked kind of the best of a bad lot. 
But there's some other photographs of Jamie and Adam from Mythbusters on stage doing their thing, and I'm in a couple of those. And there's a great photo that Jason took where it looks for all the world like I'm serenading the Mythbusters guys. I, I don't even know what I was doing. Did you ever see a photograph of yourself and you go, what? Why would I ever have been... done from the roast when I'm just like, what were we doing up there? Right. Like, what, like, why would I ever be in that position? Like, what was I doing that this photograph was capturable? And there's a thing of, like, me with my arms, like I was talking to the mic and my other arm is outstretched. Oh, my God. It does look like you're singing. It looks like I'm singing. Oh. And, and then and Adam is apparently... Kim, are you looking at this? Adam Savage is very amused by whatever's coming out of my mouth. But it looks for all the world like I'm just giving him, like I'm singing a sweet rendition of something to him. So... Other than that, really I look does. good, but that but that photograph is amazing, though. It's uh, it's a wow. isn't that beautiful? It is. So I mean, you know, and it looks it, like you guys are on black velvet. Yeah, and I wouldn't, you know, and I wouldn't say that just to say it. Uh, Vanished Twin, those guys do they do amazing work. They really do. They uh, and I meant what I said. They've actually taken the only good photographs of me in existence are the ones those guys have taken. They got some special magic going on. So you can uh, I've linked to that though at rickemerson.com. Uh, let's see, what are we uh, what are we doing here? I you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Well, I was just curious if uh, maybe... Is this leading up to a joke, sir? Yes, it is. All right, let me get ready. Okay, go All ahead. All right. All right, brace yourself. Got it. Won't, won't take but a minute. Kind of with the house going down the hill kind of brings a whole new meaning to the sliding scale mortgage, does it not? Tim, is that funny? How's that? Just a little bit? <laughs> Wait, is this your response or is this your follow-up joke, Tim? Hello, Walt. Hello. I think Don't you miss the You are a bad person. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, that's great. It's 503-733-2970. Here's Tim Riley, CBS Radio Portland News Director. I always try to do my part to make the show just a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> well, what should we talk about now? I have no idea. Okay, I think we're done with that. I have this bizarre story. It happened aboard an airliner. A, a Colorado Springs man is in jail for allegedly assaulting two sisters on a Southwest Airlines flight. 29-year-old Ezra Wallace was already flying high on a half pint of vodka when he allegedly bound the 16-year-old sister's hands with athletic tape, then tried to do the same with the younger 9-year-old sister. Their mother, who asked not to be identified, said this man should serve some time. I think he should go to jail. I think he should understand that it's not okay. You can't just jump on a plane, drunk or not, and tie kids up. I think we'd all agree to that. Okay, wait, but what, what flight were they on? Was this like yeah, like a regular, just like you go to the airport and buy a ticket because you want to go to Sarasota? The flight attendant noticed what happened and moved the girls. Say, I can't help but notice that you've bound up two girls with uh, duct tape. He was surprised. He, he was let off the plane with the other passengers. Wallace told investigators he barely remembered what happened, and it was all in good fun. <laughs> the girls muttered details what allegedly transpired. I think by the time she realized what had even happened, he was done taping her hands, and then he was trying to grab the nine-year-old to tape her. But I, okay. But I mean, it is an unusual situation. But I mean, yeah, they're what not is, end up banning vodka because of this. <laughs> well, if we, we, it's great how we. You know, the great thing about this show is for a story like this, every one of us comes at it from a different angle. 
I'm going the, uh, was it athletic tape, duct tape, rope? What it was, was duct tape. Duct tape. So I'm going the duct tape, and they better not let me, they better not start prohibiting duct tape on airplanes, or that's when revolution happens. Sarah's all worried about vodka. Tim is still looking for, uh, Tim is still looking for puns for the house that fell down a hill. And uh, by the way, I should note, I've gotten about nine different responses referencing Stevie. Was it Stevie Nicks' house? I got a bunch of those. Yeah. Um, so that's good. But what was his end game here? So you're on a plane, which is, you know, like a sealed metal tube. It's not like you can grab them and just, you know, be running for freedom. So if... Well, you really can't play the game of the states when you're on an airplane, so you have to come up with an alternative thing to do, I suppose. You can't play car seat bingo, so you have to make your own fun. You, don't make any noise or I'll kill you. <laughs> Look, when we, la- when we land in uh, Tallahassee, I've got a puppy. Would you like to come see it? All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. So let me see what else I can find out about this. Okay. Apparently, this is now being called Air Rage. Wallace and the two teenage girls were sitting in the same row on the flight. Wallace did not know the girls. After the plane took off, he allegedly tried to take a photograph of the older sister, who was seated in the aisle seat, but she covered her face. During the flight, the younger sister, who was 16, said Wallace... Took out some pre-torn strips oh, of that, white so, from his backpack. That's so creepy. And used a figure eight pattern to tie her hands together with the tape. Why did she allow her hands to be tied? I'm not well. Let me well, take the it. older sister managed to free her Wait, sister. Wait, how, how old is the, the tape younger teeth? How old is the younger sister? Uh, she's like nine. Oh, okay. So she's not six. Okay, so I withdraw the question. That she's not six. I thought they were twins for some reason. No, you think of like the Dublin twins. <laughs> I'm thinking of those girls that Richie was uh, was getting it on with. Um, oh, the Clear Channel twins. No, that's a different girl. That's the girl that made the butt cake. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, okay, so I thought she was 16. Because I was going to say, if you're 16, and some guy goes, look, can you can you put your hands together? No, at the wrist. No, make them, no, like a cross. Okay, now hold those. Okay. And then out with the tape. And the pre-torn strips of tape is sort of, here's a question. What is athletic tape? Is it's that, that It's that white tape. It's, is it adhesive? It's almost like cloth. But is it sticky? It looks like ribbon, but with, but it's adhesive, yeah. So how can you have a pre-cut do you have to peel off the backing? How could you oh, have maybe pre- it's not. How could you have pre-cut strips of tape in your bag and they wouldn't be all tangled up? Maybe it's not sticky. Is it like tape that boxers wrap their hands in? Because that's non-adhesive, I think. I think that's just cloth. Like I'm working at Because like, I need to know the mechanics if I need to be duct-taping a 16-year-old on a plane sometime soon. All right. So he, duct- so he tapes up the, the younger sister. Using a figure-eight pattern, the older sister manages to free her sister, tearing up the tape with her teeth. And then afterwards... Wallace allegedly tried to take the older sister's hands to those of the younger sister. At what point don't you hit that button that just says, like, stewardess, please? Yeah, it sounds a little fishy. So Seriously, the attendant who saw what was happening then moved the two girls to a different role with her brother. I, I, Wallace I, was allowed to stay on the flight. Well, where else well they're actually going? in the air. <laughs> I mean, D.B. Cooper is a little parachute. I'm sorry, I have to. It's like a with bird. problem passenger's parachute. Yes, yes, I have to press the red button that no, just they, opens the trap for this you. This happened back on August 1st. So uh, we're just getting wind of this now. I mean, look, I've seen old people hit that stewardess button because they need their pillow to be given like an extra fluff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some guy who's taping up a series of women on a plane. You think, you know, that that's worth a, hey, come back here and check this out. All right. Wallace says he was drunk and blurry during the flight because he drank about a half pint of vodka beforehand. Well, good for him. Why did it have to be vodka? Here's Tim Riley. So the attorney general will prosecute to the fullest. I think at the very least they should have kept him on the airplane, you know, called security. A man whose original flight was delayed seven hours is facing disorderly conduct charges because he allegedly sprayed fellow passengers with foot powder after landing in Boston. 
This is what your airline gets for treating me bad. Arthur Nicholson allegedly yelled, according to the state police report, as he shook a seven-ounce bottle of Dr. Scholl's foot powder and other travelers as he ran up the plane. <laughs> See, that's great to me. See, the guy who was duct-taping up the girls, yeah, that's just some, that's just some cretin. I mean, you know, he's just a guy who needs to be put in the hole somewhere. This guy, though, he's, what, is he on the plane? He's leaving the plane. He's leaving the plane, and he starts shaking Dr. Scholl's foot powder at everybody? Mm-hmm. You see, that's great, because that's crazy in sort of a weird way. Like, do you suppose he went through a laundry list of other items? You know, before, like, did he do gold bond medicated powder? Maybe, like, uh, just throwing globs of Vicks VapoRub at people? I like the idea that he had some, like, a series, there was a flow chart in his head of odd quasi-medicinal items with which I can douse other people on the plane while running for freedom, and then he somehow stopped at foot powder, and not just any foot powder, Dr. Scholl's foot powder. Um... Okay, this guy says athletic tape is cloth, but it is also adhesive. So it's almost impressive that he found a way. Look, I can't take off a piece of scotch tape and carry it across the house to straighten the picture. Do you ever do this where you have a picture that won't, kind of, it won't straighten itself, a picture that keeps going crooked? So you just you roll up a, a, some, duck, uh, some uh, scotch tape into a loop, and you stick it on the back of the frame and hope that the, the, the traction, the adhesion is enough to stick it to the wall? You probably don't, Tim, but I do that all the time. I can't carry... A piece of tape from one end of the house to the other without going into some sort of a figure eight. This guy actually cuts athletic tape, has it in strips, takes it all the way through security in his luggage on the plane, and it's still usable, which is sort of impressive in a strange way. Uh, Rick, about that house. Moving sale, today only. Okay, see, that's the best we've had to an hour. That's the closest we've had to an hour. That's a good one. Did you see this one? That's. The housing market slide is now hitting the neighbors. See, there's something there as well. These are all about 90%. None of them are actual bullseyes, but this is these are all in the these are all in the neighborhood. All right, here's Tim Riley. So will all these anchor people be saying things like, well, we should ask Carl Click to come up with something. <gasps> That's a great idea. You bet. I come up with great ideas all the time. No, you do, Tim. That's one of the things that makes this program a cut above. All right. Is the uh, you know we really do have a, a cornucopia of ideas. So many that we actually can't even use them all ourselves. Uh, you know, I mean, some of the ideas they have to go to the go to the wayside to be used by to you know by Google uh, Mail and so forth. Well, there's one bad idea that we'll never tra- try here. CBS Television is being accused of showing a penis to children. Is this a penis? Watch? It is a penis watch. Here's your penis watch for uh, Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio. Take a look at my enormous penis And my troubles start melting away I take a look at my enormous penis And everything is going my way A parents group has complained to the FCC That CBS did not edit out a penis From the season premiere of Survivor Gavin Or Gabon, one of those countries one of the contestants had a wardrobe malfunction when he took part in a challenge in his underwear. The Parents Television Council says CBS has once again decided to violate the public trust. Yeah. CBS is the same network that aired the Super Bowl. Oh, I mean, sorry. Janet Jackson had her wardrobe <laughs> malfunction. The network said the incident was fleeting and virtually undetectable, unless people are looking for penises with, like, magnifying glasses. But the council said the number of fleeting penises we expect to see on broadcast television is zero. <laughs> I am completely forming a band called the Fleeting Penises. <laughs> Can you see the people picketing? No more penises. Outside Black Rock. But only the, only the fleeting kind, Tim. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen the, the penis slip picture? No, I haven't. Hello, we're the Fleeting Penises. We'll be Kings of Leon will be up next. Thank you for coming out. Enjoy the show. Uh, all right, I got so many things to say about this. Okay, first of all, this is Survivor what? 
Gabon? Gabon? G-A-B-O-N. Gabon? Nobody's ever heard of. Gabon? Yeah, Gabon. I have to send you the, um, the YouTube video. I just found it. Of the penis? Yeah. But I'm looking for the penis. All right, first things first. Is there an arrow pointing to it if, if it's so indistinguishable? If it's fleeting? Mm-hmm. Wait, they paused it? All right. Sh- is the then... penis unremarkable? I don't see the penis is so it, far. Is it shown in slow motion for the children? This is a news they story. Just it down? This is a news story, by the way. Operating the public interest, it's, convenience, it's and necessity. Press. The Associated Press would not give us oh, something that we're filled. Oh, that is unfortunate. Is it? Is it uh, more than fleeting? Can you see? <laughs> Sarah just seriously. <laughs> Sarah just indicated that perhaps the. I didn't even know that that was what it was. It was so. Ready. Uh, you're saying that it might be. Um... Are you saying that it it is? Uh... How do I put this? Smaller than a bread basket. I'll just say that Sarah held up her pinky. Sarah, is, I'm just going to say it. I'm just so going to flat out. It looked like drawstrings on the front of his pants. Because <laughs> they're all running toward these giant balls. and then like it's, They're what? They're running toward giant balls. Of course they are. I hear it. So here it is slowed down. That's where. Wait. Oh, uh, wait. That's like nothing. How uh, do you even have no... Okay, wait. I how, come, can... how come no one's complaining about the giant balls? I... <laughs> I'm not I, upset with the penis as much as I am with the giant balls. Everybody stop now. They're showing giant balls to my children. <laughs> stop this instant. We're not going to get anything done. What are, are they like earth balls? What are they what are they running toward? They're giant earth balls. I mean <laughs> I thought it was an earth mother. <laughs> I don't really know exactly what they are. They look like big me, balls of like rubber bands or something. Here. Hold on, let me see. This is from Survivor Gavin Gabon. Gabon? Yeah, no, survive. They'll never top Survivor China. All right. All right. Let me see here. So they're running. <laughs> Survivor penis. <laughs> All right. They they're running. Okay. And you know, here's this. You know, so the, which uh, guy is the down. one with the penis? All right. And then here, there it is. Right. Hold there. on. I gotta watch this. Oh, they are giant balls. What the hell is that? That's oh, sorry. <laughs> That's just they're run, running right toward them. This is just like you know what it is. Uh, so what? What is this? CBS is inflicting this on children. So this is a follow-up to last year's Super Bowl, when there was that complaint about thank you CBS for turning my son gay in huge letters because because Prince. What I have that taped up in my office over that complaint about the Super Bowl, and it was the complaint that said Prince, a known homosexual, was on television holding his guitar in a sexual fashion. And then it just said in all caps at the end, thank you, CBS, for turning my son gay. To which I can only say, you are very welcome, sir. We aim to please. But was then the award presented during the board of directors meeting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that Lacey Turner got that for outstanding public service. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for turning my son gay, <laughs> I am pleased to present... This Crystal Award to Lacey Turner, Public Affairs Director, CBS. You have the thanks of a grateful nation. We have to break. We're going to end this now. It's 503-733-2970. I'd like to thank the Associated Press for giving us that news story here in the noon news hour on AM 970. Making your life richer. Back after this, don't go anywhere.
much. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. Have you seen this thing about John McCain's secret granddaughter? No. Uh, I'm reading this now. Uh, this was sent to me by... Uh, I shouldn't say who sent it to me. This is sent to me by somebody who noted that it's completely unfounded. Uh, there's no basis to this at all. This could be a complete fabrication. There's really no proof that this is uh, the correct or accurate in any way. Exclusive. Senator John McCain's granddaughter was put up for adoption. While media outlets search for this historic presidential election so-called October surprise, it's from a website called View Their Views. Not to be confused with, like, the uh, the, the television program they called The View. ViewTheirViews.com. ViewTheirViews.com has learned that Sarah Palin is not the only person on the Republican ticket who's dealt with a daughter's pregnancy before marriage. Republican presidential candidate Senator John McCain has a granddaughter residing in the United States who is missing from his family portrait. The article continues. An unmarried Sidney McCain, Senator John McCain's only child from his first marriage, gave birth to her daughter on Long Island, New York, on September 8, 1987. Soon after, she was adopted by a couple living in New York at the time. The identity of the biological father is unknown. Sources tell viewtheirviews.com. The adopted daughter has tried to contact the McCains on her own long before the senator's 2008 presidential nomination to see if they would like to meet. Her calls were not returned. All right, there you go. So according to viewtheirviews.com and a completely unsourced and possibly inaccurate story, John McCain has a secret granddaughter who he won't talk to. There you go. All right, it's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So the family portrait has a question mark. Feel free to, it's just a big, this is a smudge. So feel free to, you know, spread that around. Here's Tim Riley. A man who fell off a bluff while grappling with a Gresham police dog has been convicted of assault of a law enforcement animal. The dog had been ordered to attack 48-year-old John Malum when he refused to surrender during an arrest, and the pair rolled down a 20 to 30-foot embankment before plunging another 100 feet into the Sandy River. The lamb broke his back and has broken ribs and punctured his lung. The three-year-old dog named Coda dislocated the bones and tore ligaments and tendons in one of his paws, forcing his retirement. Malam has been sentenced to serve time, a year in jail, and he owes Gresham Police $9,500. So is there some sort of, like, if you're a, a police dog, you know, when you retire, is it like they take some... Is there, in other words, is there an actual home in the countryside somewhere where you really do get to hang out with other dogs instead of the one that really is just like, you know, is some guy in a lab coat? Like, police dogs, they must have some retirement home for police dogs, I would think. I would imagine so. All right. Well, the dog park I go to was named after a police dog. Don't F with the police dog. They'll kill you. And and what do you, do you suppose the command is just, like, get him or kill or something? What, I wonder what, if police dogs are trained to respond to verbal commands. Mm-hmm. because And if they are, they must be trained to maybe only respond to verbal commands from the officer. Because otherwise you could just be like, no, stop that, or whatever. I'd be curious to know exactly what the command for, like, get him is that you give to a police dog. By the way, do you know this new Bond girl has extra fingers? She has extra fingers. I'm reading her right now. Bond girl, proud of oddity. Uh, Gemma? Gemma? Hey, did we ever figure out how the survivor place is pronounced and what it is? Survivor Gabon? 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 I think it's... G- G- I don't know. Is it an <laughs> island? I think it's Gabon. Does anybody know? Gabon or Grabon? I'm not sure. Something. Uh... Because whenever I look at that new Survivor play, all I think of is Gabo from The Simpsons. You know, everybody's talking about Gab on this and Gab on that, but no one's saying Jesus this. Uh, I'm reading right here from Yahoo News. Quantum of Solastar Gemma Archerton 
is exceptional for her beauty. I'm reading now. Exceptional for her beauty and her extra fingers, it says. So I don't know if this is On like, both hands? I, I really don't do know. I uh, Gemma, G-E-M-M. Uh, probably Gemma. A, Gemma, G-E-M-M-A, Arterton, A-R-T-E-R-T-O-N. Wait, here we go. Has proven herself to be exceptional not only for her English beauty, whatever that might be, but also because she was born with, wait for it, six fingers on each hand. Um, don't bother looking for additional digits in the film, though. As a child, the... Uh, all right, wow, I wish I hadn't read this. This is like that movie you saw oh, the other day, sir. she doesn't have them anymore? Don't bother looking for her extra fingers in the film. Damn. As a child, the surplus digits were tied, which causes... Wait, no, no, no. Which causes... Welcome to the lunch hour. The boneless protrusions to fall off with time. She still bears bumpy scars where her extra fingers once were. Didn't we talk about somebody whose fingers have fallen off? She was also born. Yes, yes, the Lindsay Lohan thing. That's what happened to her fingers, too. They did turn black and fall off. Wait, hold on. It gets better. Unless you're her. She says, earlier this year, she revealed she was also born with a crumpled ear. What the hell was your mother doing while she was pregnant? Where are those paint chips? Which was surgically corrected. I was born with lots of deformities, said the 22-year-old actress. She says with pride. (laughs) Well, I mean, freaks have their place, Tim. Let's not forget that. All right, well. like a Betty and Barney six-pack. <laughs> She's like a more well-endowed lobster boy. All right, here's Tim Riley. I'm surprised he didn't go into the finger bank. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson is confident that the Wall Street bailout will work. At a news conference moments ago, he said the U.S. is strong. Oh, finger bank. Yes. Oh. Yeah, he is confident that the U.S. is strong and a very wealthy nation, at least we were at one point. And we have the resources needed to conquer these challenges. Although we are facing particularly difficult circumstances, I remain confident that we will work through this challenge as we have always successfully worked through every economic challenge in the history of the United States. He sounds terrified. Mm -hmm. Yes, we can handle these problems with ease. We are a strong and a wealthy nation with the resources to address the needs we face. I am confident that with the right policy response, Are we doing a debate? time and effort, we will conquer these challenges as well. Those are standard comments from any debate. They really are. All right. Well, let's talk about other things. Now, the Secret Service is looking into reports that somebody at a Republican rally threatened to kill Barack Obama. This happened at a Sarah Palin uh, rally after she uh, denounced Obama's association with a radical Chicagoan. Somebody in the audience shouted, kill him. Joe Biden weighs in on the matter during an appearance on the Today Show. The idea that a a leading American politician who might be vice president of the United States would not just stop mid-sentence and turn and condemn that, you know, I I just, it's just, this is slippery slope. This is a place we shouldn't be going. Hey, by the way, it should be noted that they are now already selling uh, pro-Obama shirts that say, that one, 08. Excellent. How great is that? Well done, whoever you are. Uh, you can go. You can find these at the. It's not a plug. I'm just if you want to buy these. You can find them at Cafe Press. I guess you search that one. Oh eight, and it's basically it's the the Obama shirt, but it just says that one instead of Barack Obama, and then it links. You know, has the his web I address. I would totally wear that. That's great. Well, that's like you know there was that uh, there was that great thing back in I don't know maybe like ninety eight ninety nine when Hillary Clinton made that statement, which was true, but still sounded. It was one of those statements that was accurate, but sounded nutty anyway where Hillary Clinton said that there was, in fact, a vast right-wing conspiracy mm-hmm. that was responsible for her husband's problems. 
which was at least partially true. But Rush Limbaugh immediately started selling those shirts and cups that said, you know, part of the vast right-wing conspiracy, which is sort of great. Uh, all right. Here's, oh, wait. Do we have an answer about the police dog thing? Of course we do. All right. Let's uh, just go through these calls in no particular order. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Speak now. Rick, hey, uh, this is Brian. Um, I was in the Air Force and Security Police, and I know that the dogs they worked with there, they trained them in German. I was under the impression that was a uh, common practice because your average criminal is not going to start yelling German commands on a dog. Yeah, I see, and I always wonder if that's true or if that's not necessarily an urban legend but a thing that, that, that you know, maybe, um, in other words, I knew a guy growing up, and he had a German shepherd who supposedly named Sputnik, who supposedly would only respond to commands in Russian. And so I've actually had a lot of discussions over the years with people about this, because no one, it's that whole thing of do dogs understand words, or is it just inflections? And the guy said, well, if it was just inflections, how would the dog only respond to Russian? And my response was, well, maybe just by dint of using a foreign language, you are then sort of forced into using a different kind of inflection that the dog recognizes as distinct from the inflections one uses when speaking English. So that, that then does prompt the question, do dogs actually understand words? And I don't really know if science has given it. Has there been a definitive answer on the words or inflections question, Tim? I'm not sure. Can dogs be bilingual or understand multiple languages? I don't really know. Uh, now, were we having the dog whisperer on this week? I think so. Maybe we can ask him. Richie, are we having the dog whisperer on this week? Oh, are you kidding me? Does he know who we are? But again, on more research, too, I looked into it, and, you know, he might not be as fabulous as everyone thinks. Oh, did you see that same email that I saw about him perhaps having oh, a, yeah. an undesirable past? Yes, I'm, and somehow using, like, some practices that might not be, you know, the ideal practices for not training him. We heard that he may uh, he may not be uh, somebody we'd, uh, we'd be friends with. We might hear that. All right. Uh, all right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. What's up? Well, unlike that last guy, I was actually a law enforcement specialist in the Air Force, and I was a canine handler. And the dogs, they do, I think, understand words because you use pretty much the same tone of voice when you're giving them any command, but they can tell what you're talking about. So, in other words, so Max, you know, the new dog, of course, doesn't do anything. But he was running around and destroying things. But Max, uh, you know, he has, like, he sort of came, because we got him when he was a few years old, so he came already preloaded. It was like buying it's like buying somebody else's iPod, and you realize all your Ben <laughs> Folds is already on there. So Max came pre-programmed with, uh, let's see, what, like sit, uh, sit, lay down, stay, off, and down, which are if he's on furniture or, like, jumping up on you, respectively, and then uh, something else. So you're saying that instead of saying sit, could I say, like, plant to him in the same tone of voice and he would respond like I was saying sit? Or do you think I would actually have to say the word sit? I think you'd probably have to actually say sit. I don't know if it's so much they understand the word, but I think it's associated because the training they go through is just repetition all right well so, and police dogs are probably given you know the, just the, the vastly disproportionate amount of training as compared with a regular dog i mean that's like that right. I mean, even past like guide dogs i would imagine yeah we did training with them every day and they could also just use hand commands so you didn't have to speak if like you were in a building where you wanted to be quiet or something now so could so a police dog now can you train a police dog to do different levels of sort of like setting your phaser to stun? Like, can you, can you set the police dog just to detain, and then also then, like, depending on the guy, can you set the police dog to kill? 
Uh, not so much. You're, they just are trained to bite when you tell them to, and they will bite whatever is closest to their mouth. And do they just keep biting until the cop comes over and says, ah, that's enough and now? Until you tell them to stop. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Well, that... They're actually trained so well that you can – I did this once to a bunch of security guys because we didn't like each other, but you can send your dog after somebody, and they're trained so well you can let them get you know, five feet away and then call them off, and they will stop and turn around and come i got to get me one of those. i got a whole bunch of people that stick that thing on. All right, <laughs> thank you. No problem. Uh, I do a few more here. Hi, uh, you're listening to KCMD Portland, by the way. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. You know, I was listening to that soundbite from Paulson, and the only thing that kept flashing through my mind was the scene from Animal House during the parade where Niedermeyer is screaming, everything is under control. All is well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and just the guy, I mean, look, and I'm not going to say that I know any more than he does about anything, but just listening to him speak, there oh, are God. verbal he cues. Like he's wound tighter than, than I don't know what. He, he betrays all kinds of fear, I think. He does not sound in the slightest way confident about anything that he is doing or the, you know, the future of, you know, of our, of our economy, at least, the, at least the, you know, the near future. He betrays all kinds of nerves when he talks. It's right. getting scarier by the minute. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All right. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, hi, Rick. This is George. Hello, Julia, sir. Job shot of stats. Hello. Yeah, we got this little bitty puppy about the size of yours, and he knows bye-bye. He gets really mad. You say the word bath, he cringes. And uh, if you say anything resembling the word treat, like tree, mm -hmm. uh, he'll start spinning around, and he definitely knows words, and it doesn't matter. I know some he could probably, you know, yell at him to get down, and they'll eventually figure it out. But they know words. All right. Excellent. Thank <laughs> you. It wasn't Niedermeyer. It was Kevin Bacon. Oh, wait. That right. It wasn't. But what was his name? It was... Um... I don't remember. He, he was one. Thank you, sir. May I have another? You know? Well, let's back up for a second. There was Niedermeyer, Marmalade, and then Kevin Baker. Okay, so... Hold on. i got to do it in my head. Faithfully yeah. submitted, Douglas C. Niedermeyer, Sergeant-at-Arms. All right, so he is the guy... Niedermeyer is the guy who gets scooped up in the giant hand at the end of Animal House. And then it says, like, later, killed in Vietnam by his own troops. By his own troops, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Marmalade got raped in prison. Yeah, there. because he worked for, for Nixon. Nixon. Yeah. Now, what the hell was Kevin Bacon's uh, character's name? I don't remember. Was it that Chip? Means we have to watch the movie again, right? Was it Chip? Yeah, it could have been. Because there's that sequence. Sure. Uh, see, now i got to figure it out, and then we'll do a couple headlines, and then uh, Carl Click will join us for his top five. Because we can always IMDb. There's I gotta look it up. All right, thank you, sir. There's that sequence in the beginning where uh, Stephen First, uh, who is Flounder, and Tom Hulse, who is Pinto, I think, are going and they're doing Pledge Week or Rush Week or whatever the hell it is, and they're going from fraternity to fraternity, and they go into like the you know the 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 the, uh, the Delta Tau's house. Um, or whatever. No, the Delta Tau guy is that's the uh, that's the the Tim Matheson guys. Whatever. They go into the the, the other place, and Mandy, Mandy Pepperidge is there, and she's like giving them the name tags. And then Greg Marmalard introduces them to Kevin Bacon, and he says, "This is God. It's Chip. It's got to be Chip. I have to look it up." Here's Tim Riley. Now I'm all confused. I know it's, a, but it's an Animal House thing, and you know what? I've seen that movie like 500 times, but that's one of those things that you don't ever think you're going to get called on. Like when a guy goes, "Really, Mr. Animal House trivia guy? What's Kevin Bacon's character's name?" And I think it's Chip, but I'm not entirely sure. But now I feel like less of a man. Like I'm, you know, I have performance anxiety. Like the pressure's on and I can't make it happen. I, uh, I don't know his name. Here's Tim Riley. The debate was dull, but it didn't stop viewers from watching. The second presidential debate was seen by 21% more people than the first one. So here are the ratings. The first presidential debate scored 34.7. The vice presidential debate, the highest, 45. And last night, 42.1.
So this was the second highest. After the vice presidential. Yes. Day. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, this is probably not the right time to do my many, many, many notes from last night. So we can do those later on. I had more people watch it on CNN than any other network. Well, I watch it on CNN. Although CNN, they're still doing that thing at the bottom where they got the unde- the alleged undecided voters. Mm-hmm. And so you can see the ma- there's two lines. There's male line and then there's the female line. And then one's from Ohio, right? They're from... Are they, NBC was doing it. Are they still from Ohio last night? On were they, CNN, it was from Ohio. They're Ohio voters. So I think it's the same group of undecideds every debate. And at the end of every debate... They say, so has anybody made up their mind for one candidate or another? And then if you do, it's like you're voted off the island. Which leads me to believe that if you are still in that undecided group in Ohio, let's just say you're just an attention whore. You're just trying to stay on television by claiming you are undecided. No one is undecided. Who cares about Ohio? Uh, I mean, people are apathetic. No one is undecided. I'm not even undecided. I just, you know, I'm just nihilistic about it. If you at this point are still sitting in that uh, room with Soledad O'Brien, you're going... I don't know. It's like I watch uh, Obama, then I watch McCain, and I—they really seem very much the same to me. I can't—I uh, can't find any point of distinction between them. You're just lying it to stay like in front of the camera. I'll have to sit through one more debate. I guess I'll just have sure. to stay here on television. Um, but uh, anyway, so you're watching the dial groups go up and down, and as Laura pointed out, and I hadn't even really put this together in my head, you're watching the CNN coverage, and you're seeing the dial group for men and women go up and down as the debate goes on, and then you realize, well, wait a minute. This is just 18 people in a room. This is just 18 jackass Americans who want to be on camera that are now controlling this line on a network that is being watched by 10 million people. You know, and I guess maybe if you let the dial group shoot me to make up your mind for you, then I guess that that is your own problem. But you do that is, I mean, that's worse than the rating system. I mean, that's just so vastly uh, non-representative. Um, anyway, so there was that last night. I guess if you have HD, which I don't, but I guess if you have HD and you watch CNN. Not only do you have the dial group at the bottom of the screen, I guess on the borders of the screen, you get to see the um, the sort of commentators as they are scoring it. Like you get to see David Gergen with a scorecard rating the candidates as they go through the debate. It was pretty neat. I watched the I watched the actual debates at my home, but then I went out and I saw some high definition TVs recapping right. it. Yeah, it had like three circles on either side, and half of them were blue, and you know half of them were red, and then they mm. had the, the numbers in there with the percentage of like positive and negative. Sounds a bitch. Okay. See, that's the kind of thing that'll make me get HDTV. I have I, just it so I can watch cool. that. You could see all of McCain's like every single wrinkle and stuff because you could see everything that even the best makeup artist couldn't hide. How did Obama look in HD? He, he looked good. Yeah. <laughs> Although you could tell he was wearing a lot of makeup too. Like he was very powdered. Very powdered. It's just, it's funny you put it that way, though, because you are, I think, either the second or third person, all, all women, that I've talked to today. But I, you know. Well, he looks like he's not trying to be so young anymore. Like, it looks like whatever, uh, you know, just for men hair color he was using. Like, <laughs> he stopped using it because he has, like, a little bit of gray now. He's kind of, like, catering to that I'm not too young to be in politics. Right, right. And they, but women do that thing where they kind of drop their voice about half an octave when I say, so what did you think last night of John McCain? Ah, you know, he's old and feeble and he's going to eat your brains. Okay. What did you think of Barack Obama? Barack Obama looked good. And I've never really thought he was handsome before, but he looked very handsome. He's a striking man. He really is. And he's he's like 100 feet tall, too. Is that Are they doing some weird forced perspective thing there? Because he looks like he just towers over poor John McCain. I mean, Barack Obama, he looks like I mean, he looks like he's 10 feet, 10 feet high on that screen. So we'll do one more. Then we'll welcome Carl Click to the studio. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me put that back on hold. One more from Tim Riley. I meant to say, and then I hit the phone. Uh, we'll do one more. We'll talk to Carl Click. Resume on the other side. Tim? Are you talking to me? What? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Do you know it's going to be very cold tonight? Temperatures are going to dip into the 30s. I can see my breath this morning. Mm-hmm. So if you're out walking the dog early, put on your hat. Maybe a scarf, too. 
Is that really what counts as one more news story? Put on your hat. <laughs> By God, that CBS News is indispensable. You know, I was listening today, and they told me to put on my hat. It never would have, you know. But I did have. I this... bet Carl Clinton doesn't think that's so funny. No, probably not. You know what I uh, what I did have this morning though is I was as I was in fact walking, and of course, you know, Lauren, I got this whole thing where whoever has to leave the house first in the morning, they take the dog out to you know to to do the you know the the quick the number one or whatever. But whoever leaves the house later, in other words, whoever gets to sleep in, they have to take the dog out for the full, like, 15-minute, get-everything-done-that-needs-to-get-done walk. And so Lara has the day off. So, you know, so I get up, and I'm like, all right. And now, you you know, doubling the problem. I got the two dogs. And, of course, you can't have Max anywhere in the room because he just charges in and takes the puppy's food from him. So I got to, like, feed Max and stick him in the office and shut the door and whatever. Are they getting on okay? Max doesn't like – Max is sort of like uh, – us in that he doesn't uh, and by us I mean Tim and I in that Max doesn't like other Max is to other dogs as Tim and I are to other people. Max wants to be left alone. I mean he doesn't mind us, but I mean in terms of other dogs, wants to be left alone. And when other dogs around, when they when they get into his personal space, he just sort of like tilts his nose up and walks away, tries to find a corner, thinks everything in the house belongs to him, doesn't want to share, play nicely. So I got to feed him and then stick him in a room. Then try to get the uh, the puppy to eat, which is always a challenge, because he's just like, I'll put the food in front of him. And he does the thing of looking down at the food, and then he looks up at me like, what do you want from me? And I'm like, and I'm like come on, I got to, you know, I'm looking at my watch, like, I got to go, I got to make some toast, and then I got to go to work. And he looks down at the food, and then he just scratches himself, then he has to wander off, and I have to drag him back. So I finally get him fed, and then I got to, you know, walk them both, and that's, you know, always a lot of fun, too, because there's the one dog is like, charging down the street, and the other one just wants to sit on the sidewalk. And so then you're Tom Hanks in Bonfire of the Vanities dragging the dog along the sidewalk like it was a radio flyer. Um, anyway, and so, and then you get that thing like the dog, like, I'm going to screw you. This is gonna, I'm going to get you back for putting me in that, uh, in that crate all night. I'm going to take 15 minutes to go. And you're walking, the, and then you realize, once you've taken the dog outside, this will be the last thing I say before we bring in Carl Click. You all know this if you have dogs. Once you've taken the dog outside, you can't take him back in until he goes because, the, like, the circuit has already, like, the chain reaction has started in his brain. The Rube Goldbergian series of thoughts in his head that will eventually have him going has already been tripped. So if you take him back inside before he goes, he's going to get inside, and immediately it's going to be like a wet carpet. So once you go outside, you're out there until he's done. Uh, you know, and, and sitting out there in like a T-shirt, realizing I wish I brought my gloves. And that's the first time I thought that this whole year. It is now officially not only hat wearing season, Tim Riley, mm -hmm. glove wearing season as well. Make sure you wear your hat and your gloves. So saith uh, the news department of CBS Radio Portland. So say we all. Richie, can we welcome Carl Click to the studio? That'd be fantastic if we could do that. All right, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. This email says Rick. Maybe I heard it wrong, but after listening to your show for almost seven years, I believe the phrase, bumpy scars where her fingers once were, is the greatest thing I have ever heard. In fact, that whole story about the Bond woman is so great, I'd listen to that for four hours a day. All right. And so forth. Is this true? Yeah, I'm the host. So we're going to be talking to Roger Klein. Uh, let's see, November Oh, I'm just 14th. right. I'm correcting that right now. <laughs> we just got a confirmation. We've talked to Roger Klein on the phone a few times. Roger Klein from Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Uh, so I can announce this now. It is confirmed. Friday, November 14th, the first for us, we're going to have Roger Klein in studio performing with us. Performing. Which is, which is fantastic. I mean, that's, and you know, my wife is, 
She's happy for me, but she's really irritated because that's two days after she goes out of town, and she's a fanatic for these oh, guys. Oh no! Yeah, I was just, I was just right. Hey, Katie, just wanted to let you know the interviewer would be Rick Emerson, not Richie Emerson. Yeah, Na- <laughs> you, you know, Richie Emerson. She, the whole thing, like you know, name of name of contest, Sarah so Dillon. Date of interview, Friday number fourteenth. Name of interviewer, host, Richie Emerson. There you go, <laughs> Richie Emerson. Yeah. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson program from K2, the one and only Carl Click. Hello, sir. Hello, and thank you for adding the the Richie Emerson part because I didn't want to come in and follow dog bathroom stories. <laughs> now, it's do you have a, do you have any pets, sir? Oh yeah, we have Murphy. Is that a dog? That is a dog. Yeah. So I mean, you know, and I we try very hard to to keep uh, the number of dog stories we tell to a reasonable level because otherwise you're just. You know, because otherwise you're just some people wear hats when they go outside. (laughs) Because otherwise you're some woman named Enid who has like a a 30-minute program on KBU somewhere on the weekend. You don't want to be that. You know, next up it's a woman who talks about potholders for half an hour. But but it is like that thing where the colder it is, the dog decides that's the moment to get their punishment back on you. Stick me in a box all night, you bastard. You're going to walk out here until your ears fall off. Taking my time. By the way, I would have been here sooner, but there was a slaughter of zombies on the bridge. Hey, look at you. Oh, bum, bum, bum. And, and, And each and every one of them was taking silk off a corn cob. Did you watch that? I did. did, did I listened to you. Dude. So I encourage everybody now to go to rickemerson.com. Um, I think the most recent entry is a picture of me with the Mythbusters guys, but you go down one entry below that. It is from yesterday, and I swear to God, and you can vouch for me on this, it's safe for work. Uh, yeah. I there's guess. nothing. Until the slow motion of the music, but, I think. Yeah. But even that, I mean, there's no, uh, you know, there is no, there's no actual sexual activity happening it's, of any kind. It's some kind of cooking, isn't it? Look, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the... You know, desilking the corn isn't uh, isn't wrong. Playing Marvin Gaye isn't wrong. So desilking the corn while playing Marvin Gaye can't be wrong. If A plus B equals C, there yes. you go. That's okay. the transitive property in action. It's, it's something most women enjoy. Cooking, cooking. Ah, okay. Because they're very domestic. All right. So uh, you mentioned the Mythbusters. Was uh, uh, Carrie with them or just the guys? No, it was just Jamie and Adam. Because uh, Carrie's my second favorite to Sarah Dex Dillon. Really? Yeah. Um, there was, and, and, I, and I have to give it up to the crowd, there were no creepy questions about Carrie. Oh, good. Uh, so there's, there's the Mythbusters. Were there questions about that? Did you hear that weird rumor on the Internet where one of them had a sex tape? No. Okay. No, I did not. I knew that there was that fake photo of Adam. There was yeah. like a fake nude photo of Adam yeah, floating around. Just, it didn't even really and look Carrie like it. has done, she did a layout in FHM at one point. Oh, did, did I, you ever see that? I think I might have. So there's the two guys. There's Adam Savage and Jamie Heideman, and then they're the two lead dudes. And then there's the, sort of like the Bloodhound Gang. That's the old 3-2-1 contact Bloodhound Gang, not the, not the group. Um, the but build crew, the building team. Yeah, yeah. and it's, and it's uh, uh, Carrie, uh, Tori, and Grant. And Grant is the electrical engineer, Carrie is the artist, and then Tori is just a comic, really. Tori's just a goof. Yeah. Um, Grant is a smart guy. Grant, man, that guy, you were talking about a guy who could build a robot army that actually would overtake this entire joint. I mean, he started. Do you know where he got his start? No. On uh, the show called uh, Bot, Robot. Robot Wars. Yeah. Yeah. He won that with some, you know, little uh, robot that he built that beat all the other robots. Okay, see, here's the interesting thing about that. I didn't know that, and that's interesting because... Jamie and Adam got the Mythbusters gig through Robot Wars, later BattleBots, because Jamie and Adam built the first and I think only robot to be banned because it was too dangerous. It was too good. Do you know that Blendo? Oh, I didn't hear that. They, one. Um, I won't use, I won't tell the joke a third time, but uh, but there was this. Um, I will tell the joke a third time. This is the last time I'm ever going to tell it. I, Sarah heard me do this yesterday because this is the moment I was the most. Uh, this is the moment I was the most proud of from Sunday, because. 
those guys got the Mythbusters gig because Jamie and Adam had built this this robot called Blendo, which was an upside down walk um, that spun at something like four thousand revolutions a minute and had giant razor sharp like meat cleavers all the way around it, and. It was banned the first time because it, by the way, it won the first four matches in less than 15 seconds. Because the the, the first time a robot would touch Blendo, 4,000 RPMs a minute, uh, you know, or I guess that's redundant, but 4,000 RPMs, and then you got the meat cleaver, it was just taking the other robots apart and actually throwing them over the retaining wall into the crowd. Who says Rick Emerson's not a sports fan? He's rolling off stats like a baseball geek. I mean, yeah. and so these robot pieces, like the crowd would be sitting there, and, you know, suddenly just it would be raining down shrapnel. <laughs> bolts, right, ribbons. You know, yeah, right into the lap of a claims adjuster. <laughs> um, and so they banned it. They said, okay, look, Blendo... They can't come back ever again. And they actually said, like, we're going to buy you off. Here's, like, the championship belt. Blendo is banned. You can never come back. So then later, they actually raised, they uh, heightened the retaining wall. You know, they made it higher. So presumably to keep these robot detritus from flying into the crowd. So Jamie and Adam come back with Blendo a second time. Same thing happens. Blendo gets a hold of some poor robot and just (laughs) shreds it. And again, even though they've raised, you know, the, the wall is like nine feet higher, Dude, the pieces of this poor opponent just get scattered into the crowd like so much metal, um, you know, confetti. Some teenagers, you know, years and years of work in the garage are shredded in seconds if by you Blendo. you watch these films, it is fantastic to watch because, and again, as you just said, some mad scientist guy has been in his garage for the better part of a year. This is going to be the moment when I prove them all wrong. This is going to be the moment when they know that they were wrong to laugh at me. When because my, I paid attention in physics. When, when ClampBot 9000 <laughs> is... Is triumphant in robot wars, and they will. And then you fast forward to like Blendo, you know, like five seconds later, the thing is destroyed, and the guy's just sitting there. And then you cut to the guy who made Clampbot 9000 doing the con <laughs> camera shot as he's holding little tiny pieces of tubing and shrapnel, going no. So, so they bought these Adam and Jamie off twice. The second time, okay, they're like, no fooling. Here's the championship belt. You can never come back. <laughs> Blendo is banned. So in um, in my only really inspired line of the day, because I was trying very hard to not try to be too funny, because, like, it's their gig. You know, I'm just a moderator. But they described the Mythbusters thing as being, like, inside the actor's studio. And I'm a big fan of that and James Lipton. So I actually said, okay, so because this is, like, inside the actor's studio, I'm going to ask this next question as James Lipton. <laughs> and then, and so I kind of did a long pause, and I looked at, you know, I had, like, a note card prop, and I said, Jamie and Adam, please tell me about... The glorious invention that was Blendo. And as I said, there's like four people in the audience who laugh, but that doesn't matter. I found it hilarious. Good for you. I kill me. Good for you. Um, but no, so Carrie was not there. But okay. the, the build team is like uh, Carrie and Grant and Tori. And Carrie did a layout in FHM a couple years back. Where, Seen it. Really? Oh, Have you? Oh, it's like her in a red bra and a lab coat doing science experiments. It's like the best thing that's ever been. And there were some soap bubbles involved. <laughs> yeah. So, but there were no creepy questions about her. And Sarah, I just I separate you from that. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Carl. I do hold you at the same esteem as Carrie, but would never expect. I would. I would not cover myself in soap bubbles. Okay. I mean, you do. I mean, when you watch that show, you kind of expect that Tory guy just to get killed occasionally <laughs> because he's just he'll do anything. And he's such a goof. Like he does. And I don't mean any disrespect to him. I'm sure he's a smart guy. But, I, but he is sort of the jackass element of that show. Yeah. You know, Grant does electricity, Carrie does art, Adam and Jamie lead it, and Tori is there to get, like, hit in the sack by things. He's kind of the next step above Buster the Dummy. <laughs> totally. totally. 
If Tori won't do it, okay, somebody get Buster. I mean, literally, I mean, in Mythbusters, is, you know, it's fun, but it's a very brainy show. But no fooling, the last episode I watched, literally about five minutes in, Tori just gets kicked right in the junk with something. It was, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was like an animal actually kicking him right in the right in the uh, right in the store there. So well, while we're on TV shows, I, I have to thank you for Mad Men, because if I hadn't heard it here, I wouldn't wouldn't have gotten hooked. I watched the marathon this summer. Yeah. Don't my wife and I? That's like the one thing we have to sit down and watch. That is great. Are you totally caught up on it now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every Sunday now. How creepy was this Sunday's episode when Betty's uh, dad is giving her the paw? Oh, I had. I'm sorry. I had to rewind and say, did he really do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess upon further reflection. I was thinking he was just, I don't know, just full-on screaming, uh, you know, delirious or whatever. But I guess it was a specific kind of dementia because, so Ruth was his wife, Betty's mom. And so I guess he mistook Betty for her mom, which yeah, makes it thoughts. even creepier, by oh, the way. Yeah. I mean, that, that's oh, like a, that didn't make it any better. But I loved your description the other day when you talked about these are strange and awkward and people, complex people stuck in this nonconformist place and right. time. And then, there, that, but that nonconformist place and time is an ad agency, which is, tends to be putting things out that are nonconformist. So that's really it just the cycles of it are. Yeah, well, huge. yeah. So that, yeah, so that these people who all have different facets of their personalities in this structure that allows for no expression of creativity or self, what's or honesty. And then, and then again, you filter it through advertising. Yeah. Um, I actually got an email from a guy who said that he, his wife, is finally on board the Mad Men train, but he said that actually the first three or four episodes. He really like had to sit there and sort of keep her on the couch because she found the treatment of women on that show oh. to be so off-putting. Yeah, but but that that's what makes it so interesting because you see how far we've come. Right, and, and other things, the smoking and and, and just the many and the furniture and things like that. But uh, that's, that makes it so enticing because we could not have been that way, but we were. And he said that the first time they were showing the office of Sterling Cooper, the first time that one of the uh, ad guys slapped a sales girl on the ass. It's like the wife is like, I'm out. Like I'm not gonna watch this. And he's like, baby, it was the time. It's how it was done. Yeah. Come on. So thank you for that. So that was, uh, what a great show. All right, uh, Carl Click, you have brought your top five teenage moping songs. You know, I, I listened to you guys do that, and I thought about it for a while. Said, uh, you know, you don't probably have my generation of uh, of moping songs because I just I got a few years on. Well, we're a big tent here. Exactly. We try to embrace. Uh, we try to embrace all forms of music and all uh, styles and all times. Man. Yeah. So. I, I can't imagine you being unhappy. I can't or, imagine or you being, being a oh. teenager or an adolescent. That's my thing. I always imagine you as an anchorman. Oh. I had crushes on every girl that walked through the school like Carrie Byron, and, and every one of them, always, it always ended up, let's just be friends. So I had much... Were you the friend, Carl Click? Oh, barely. Carl Click, can I tell you about this guy I'm having sex with all the time, <laughs> and he's kind of a jerk... Oh, I'm sorry. I have to go have sex with him right now, actually, Carl Click. So um, we'll talk later. I mean, and you're just sitting there going, but baby, he's so wrong for you, and I'm so right. Uh, yeah, that that was my childhood. That's yeah. all these songs from the 70s, I guess. So I feel like we ought to be charging people by the hour here because, and you are far and away from the, you know, from the first person to do this. You are not at all the first person. You're like the ninth person to come on and say, and so anyway, there was this uh, one girl, Jenny Lipinski, <laughs> who, I mean, there's really some great unburdening that's happening in the studio in terms of... Uh, it really is. When I heard, when, as soon as that, you know, the songs play, it really is a cleansing Yeah, happening. it is. Unfortunately, uh, since I grew up in this area, I probably should not name names. You do first names? Didn't uh, you just name somebody's name? I don't think so. I just said every girl that walked through like Carrie Byron. Oh, okay, See, there, oh, oh all right, okay, there you go, sorry, yeah. put it together there for a second. Thank you. All right, so. so I also cannot picture you being a teenager. Please now to describe uh, for me, 
the most embarrassing item of clothing that I would have seen on Carl Click when he was in high school? A white belt. <laughs> for the win. <laughs> With two uh, two places for the, I don't even know what the little thing is. Well, the, 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 the leftover. Two, two holes know. and two prongs going into the holes. A double. Hey, wait, so, wait, wait a minute. We say two holes. It was a large about? buckle. And, and, you know, the belt only has one prong. Back then, the, the buckles were so wide that it right. had two Big prongs wide and two buckle. holes in the leather. And, and, oh, I know. I've got that. Two of those guys. You mean this? Yeah, exactly. But white. white. Okay, yeah, like that. Yeah. No, okay. Oh. Like Greg Brady pants. Oh, right. oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I had Greg Brady's hair. Mm-hmm. All right. What was the, uh, let's see, uh, did your class have, did you have, first of all, when you graduated, did they have like a class song or something? Hmm. Oh, I know we had, um, I don't believe a class song, but each dance had a theme. Okay, what was the theme of your senior prom, Carl? Oh, like, boy, I didn't even go. I can't remember. Heck, no. Do you remember no the... Idea. Were there... Nobody would go with me, Rick. Sarah? How often have we heard no, that lament? No, I don't believe that for a second. I think he's just just pretending. No, absolutely not. A man alone. No. Oh, I, you, uh, what was your problem with the ladies, Carl? I was total geek. But I mean, you're. But I mean, you're. You're. A, you're an attractive man. I can't. You know. You. I can't imagine. It's not like you just grew into your features overnight or something. So when I, when I asked my wife about our first date, which was a blind date, by the way, what do you remember the most? You were a geek. Okay. So, well, never mind then. Who am I to argue? So with he, he was. He was never Carl Six Pack. No. Braces, big afro, big white belt, silk shirt. Uh, bell bottoms really right after they were cool. Okay, that did, sounds bad. Like, did you like have something like cranberry colored, like shiny silk shirt? Yeah, that I had that a dozen times. Did you have like the big white man's fro? Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it yeah. curly? Oh yeah, dude, you got to show us natural. Us natural. Now wait, why is your hair not like that? Is it just because it's so short? Is it what? What is it? What's up with your hair now? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. But once, once I actually started on the air when I started at Channel Eight in 1983, right out of college, with that. Fro that you talked about. We demand visual and, documentation. And, and, it, and it took about uh, it took about two three weeks before I re- realized that 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 I was totally geeked in college looking. And did somebody pull you aside and go, "No, it's not going to work. You I, need to I, get, I, get rid of that." Yeah, I believe so. And you do like a so here's a dumb question. So if so you got like the big curly hair. So would you, did you just cut it real short? Or do you like do some hot oil thing that straightens it or something? Or <laughs> I, what do I you wish, do? I wish I knew. I, now it just turns gray. So it probably can't okay. curl once it turns. It gets the texture of gray. So we've been doing this. This is the top five teenage moping songs. And uh, we've done Richie's. I think uh, we're gonna, we got yours today. And then Friday, we're going to have a listener come in. We'll uh, select a listener tomorrow. So you can go to Rick Emerson, or uh, rather to MySpace.com slash Rick Emerson. You go to uh, my uh, MySpace page. You go to the most recent blog entry. And you post your top five and an honorable mention, uh, your Teenage Moping songs. Tomorrow we'll pick one, and then we'll have somebody come in Friday, a listener, and actually count down. And I went there, and there's, there's already like 45 different uh, entries for this. So go to myspace.com slash Rick Emerson, enter your top five Teenage Moping songs. We'll pick uh, a listener to come in and count them all down. Uh, how long did it take you to put this together? Uh, I had to think about it for a day and a half to a couple days. Was it traumatic in any way? Uh, no, it wasn't traumatic. I think Sarah had it. It's cleansing. All right. It really is cleansing. Because, because as I as think, you know, as geeky as some of these songs are, when you really think about them and then, you know, you kind of click on them because you can find them online and listen, you go, that's not that bad of a song. That's an okay song to, you know, to mope to, mm-hmm. to you know, to get the angst out. I think even the most embarrassing songs that we had, we still had to admit that, you know, that, that, you know in other words, they're kind of corny songs now or cheesy, but you look back and you go, you know, I can totally understand why I listen to that. Sometimes like, cheesy songs like just speak to you. Like even if it's the most cheeseball, like, right. simple phrase. Like, if, if, but if you're feeling that emotion at that time, then I mean, it still happens to me now. Like, you know, you you know, something happens and like you listen to something on the radio. It's like, oh, okay, that's exactly. That's what actually I a really good point. Where there's uh, that's there one of my are lyrics. Oops. that there's um 
What did you just drop over there? I just threw a piece of melon at you accidentally. Sorry. Okay, there you go. You know, it's interesting that there are actually songs that probably, it, they have some weird magical, there's like a prism quality where they only, they they become non-cheesy for the period of time that you are going through some trauma, and then as soon as you are back on like solid mental ground, they revert so to being corny again. One of my favorite Ani DeFranco lines is she's uh, she's singing about an ex-love, and she's like, and every pop song on the radio is suddenly speaking to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah, I, I've, hear, I've heard this theory from you before about the, kind of the cycle of a song. And, of course, I grew up on AM radio. So Good for you. So you had to wait for the DJ to play it, and its cycle was maybe once every four hours. You know, and, and song, songs would hit and be so hot in your mind that, you know, it had a kick. Right. It had a hook. It had a great musical line. You, you just you couldn't wait to hear it. You wanted to hear it four or five times a day. Then you got yourself sick of it. Then it went away. And then right. years later, you hear it again. And then that same hook from, you know, the first time you heard it. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I moped to that song. And there is, you know, the, even now on the radio, there's a certain, you know, there's a magic to that. And people like to sort of say, no, 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 you know, it's... Uh, uh, the, the radio, that that's uh, you know whatever, and you'll hear people that try to talk, you know, try to sort of diminish the magic of radio. Still, and radio does still have that, uh, still have that magic of you know the right song, the right moment, you turn it on. And especially here's the other thing. My final thought about the radio magic, then we'll do your top five, is the great thing about hearing a song on the radio is that it's one thing if like you're at home and you go, hey, by God, I wish to, I want to hear that John Fogerty song, and you go and you dig it up and you put it on, and I guess it's great. But it doesn't quite have the same spark as when it's sort of given to you and you weren't expecting it. It's that element of surprise where you're listening. And even better, let's talk about a great radio moment. You know a fantastic moment on the radio? There's two. One, and this is a thing the kids probably didn't ever have to deal with this. Did you ever do that thing growing up where you turn on the radio and it's your favorite song or the song you've been waiting for forever just as it's ending? Yeah, halfway down. You're like, I've been waiting all day for, oh, God! And it's the final chorus, and then you hear it fade out, and the guy goes, that's that brand new one you've all been waiting for? We'll play it again in six hours. And you're like, oh, come on. I just. But it's great when you would catch your favorite song at the beginning. You know, you turn on the radio and you find it's your favorite song or the song you've been wanting to hear, and it's just starting. You're like, yeah. Or, or you hear you hear the upbeat or the interlude that brings to it, and the DJ's yeah. talking over it. You uh, there's that expectation that oh, totally here, here it comes. And, and in the background, you hear him firing up the studio, and you're like, okay, this is it. Um, the other great radio moment is when you are listening to a song on the radio that you absolutely love, and it's the right song for the right mood. You're driving down the road, top down, sun out. And on you're thinking to yourself, like, this is it. This is, you know, me and this moment and this song. And then, impossibly, the song ends, and they go into another song that is just as good. The Daily Double. Seriously, like, the, 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 the magic of just the two fantastic songs, neither of which you were expecting, because it's up to some other guy who's playing it, back to back. I mean, Joy to the World by Three Dog Night. Yeah. And put, put your hand in the hand. Same time, when we were going to fourth grade uh, swimming lessons on the bus, those were the songs that we just rated on the radio. And if we got them both, you can't beat that day. Yeah. Plus, swimming lessons, you're out of school. No, and I, I, remember, um, I, remember having a, I remember having this moment through a different set of songs. It was a Guns N' Roses song. This is, this, is, this is me, in a nutshell. It was a Guns N' Roses song back-to-back with a great white song. <laughs> back in, I got it must have been the early 90s. And I was driving, I was going somewhere with some friend's house or whatever. And it's like, it's Rock Me by Great White, because, you know, because I'm a tool. And I'm like, yeah, rock me. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, driving along and just, you know, and, and guys have that thing of when you're listening to a rock song, suddenly it's like you and the lead singer. Like he's singing to you, but somehow you're also him. Singing through you. Yeah. Well, it's like, and when you hear Jack Russell and rock me and he's singing that, he has that great sleazy line where he says, um, he goes, and when your man don't care, 
I will be there. And, of course, you're driving along going, that's right, that's me. I'll be there. Yeah, I'm the good time, man. And so the Great White song ends, and then it goes right into, uh, I think it was Mr. Brownstone by Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and it's just, you know, and you kind of think, like, this is the greatest moment of my life. You hit the daily moment on the radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my blathering is done. This is Carl Click's Top 5. By the way, for those playing the home game, I was right. It is Chip Diller in Animal House. <laughs> Kevin's Bacon char- uh, Kevin Bacon's character in Animal House, Chip Diller. You Some- were half right. Something that never looks bad on your student resume, Chip. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Clicks, top five teenage moping songs. Tim Riley. Honorable mention, sometimes when we touch. Yeah. <laughs> this is already the best top five ever. <laughs> This song makes me sad. You want me to first names? Yeah. Ellen. Yeah. Oh, wait. Are these all about specific girls? Uh, they may or may not be. You Ellen. Not the Ellen. You. No. <laughs> the best part is how you say it may or may not be about a specific girl, and then you say Ellen. <laughs> Unless it's just all Ellen's everywhere. Ellen's a good friend now. Uh-huh. Because, of course, that's all. That's what you always want. She's a good friend now, as opposed to got, earlier when she was really in love with you. I got over it. Uh huh. So you can see how I mean this song has a hook, but if you hear it too much, if you hear it Come too on. much, it needs to be segue with "Killing Me Softly" with this song. By totally. I was going to say this, or maybe any one of Anne Murray's hits. What a great song. And did Dan Hill do anything else? What does this kind of sound like? This is, the melody here is similar to something else. It's, it's similar to the 70s. Tessler, if you see me walking by, the tears are in my eyes. Hey, there's a little bit there. Yeah, I can see that. Look away. And Tim's right. It really does just sound like the 70s. But it's just one song. Makes you want to bury your head in your shag carpeting. <laughs> what's, what's strangest of the... Now the top five. That's, this is the newest song of them all. <laughs> 1977. Wow. All right. Kind of got Carl Click's top five teenage moping songs. Tim? At number five, the following artist ends up on everybody's list. Mm-hmm. Harry Chapin. Cats in the Cradle this time around. It's interesting that you would mope to this. Uh, about, like, uh, sort of uh, unrequited love because it's a father-son thing. Yeah, I, I think it's there because... Uh, Would you like to explain this projection? Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? I think it's there just because it's such a sad song. And, right. and, and, and it obviously has... It just If you're not if you're in a sad mood, this will kind of put you in it permanently. I guess that's true. Harry Chapin is responsible for depression from the 70s. <laughs> More than probably anyone else. Uh, he was both the cause of and the answer to everyone's bad mental state. I mean, I, I have to say that... I, I had a wonderful father and a very good childhood. So, but and listen to the song, I think, how can that happen? Right. And and it just depressed me to think, how can you know a, a son and a father? I just couldn't imagine. So well, the sadness made, has a crossover too, because it doesn't necessarily have to be about love. That you you know to be depressed about a song. And I guess that that's a really good point. Actually, is that when you're depressed, sort of all the flavors of depression blend together. Sure. So you can listen to a song that's about father-son, if, even if you're depressed about unrequited love, 
if you're depressed about your job, you can listen to a song about love. And it all blends together. As long as it's sad, I guess it doesn't really matter why. It's not the uh, journey. It is just a sad destination. I just love that. All the flavors of depression blend together. And the cats in the cradle and we lost him too soon. I think he died at the age of 40-something. Can I tell you how many times just in the last two weeks, as Tim said, not only have we played Harry Chapin, but then we feel compelled every time to go like, and then the way he died. Boy, Jesus. I mean, it's like he's just one big rolling ball of mental collapse. And he's on everybody's list. <laughs> what a great song, though. This is just an instant classic. And it makes it more eerie knowing that he was rear-ended in a car accident. Right. On his way to a charity event, Carl. He gave all his money away to the poor. True. He was on his way to uh, to raise money for charity. Mm. The hand of God smote him. So was he married? Did he have kids? Yes. I believe so. He was, by all accounts, an exceptional human being. Of course. You know, because bastards live forever. You know, he's some jerk, some guy down the block that you can't stand. He'll live to be 90. Only the good die young. What's that? Driving a Volkswagen Rabbit. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. of his celebrity. (laughs) I mean, really. That tells you, and it was yellow. So that tells you all you need to know. Who drives a yellow Volkswagen Rabbit? A nice guy. Killed by God. Wow. Oh, we have to let it go to the end here. Wow. I've long since retired, my son. Now I'm sad. You weren't here the time that Scott Daly was in. He was getting a divorce. Um, and so we were playing the top. We were playing the five saddest songs ever. That was the top five. And he was in the same date as wife filed for divorce. And he's got like a kid. Oh. And so we're playing Cats in the Cradle. And he started weeping like a child. I know. We made him cry. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I made fun of Scott. That's okay. Don't be. Aaron just immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Daly's reaching for a gun right now. Just like me. I just got talked to Scott the other day. Was just like me. Talked about uh, scary movies for October. Okay. He's, over, he's over that now. He's already angry about how much he's spending on a divorce lawyer. So he's moved beyond sadness. He's in the uh, he's in the damn it uh, stage of his divorce. Hey, Carl clicks top five teenage moping songs. Tim Riley. Number four. How can you mend a broken heart from the Bee Gees? Some of the greatest falsetto ever. I can think of younger days <laughs> when living for my life. That's, B, that's pure Bee Gees, baby. A man could want to do. I don't know if that's Barry uh-huh. or Maurice or. That's uh, Barry, I think. A lot of these were my older sister's 45s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how you had to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you were lucky. If you were lucky, you had a record player that did that thing where the arm would come back and play the song over and over. You could put it on repeat. Instead of the shk, shk, totally. at the end where it didn't move. Um, and then uh, they made, and I think they stopped making these because I think it must have been bad for the records. But they made that record player for a while that had the arm where you could stack up all the vinyl and it would drop. The next yeah. platter would come down. And I think they quit... I think they quit building them that way because it was uh, it must have been damaging was, for the It was suspension. damaging to albums. It was yeah. making them warp. I think uh, we actually found my older sister's 45s in some basement someplace where mm-hmm. we were getting together, and we tried to find a phonograph to play them, to, you know, to right. kind of, oh, we can sing along to these. Could, we couldn't find one. You know, they sell a great thing now. Um, well, they used to sell a great thing at Sharper Image. They probably sell it somewhere else. It is a, it's like 150 bucks. It's... Uh, 
a turntable that has a USB. You can plug it into your computer and rip your vinyl in as MP3s. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you have to, you know, put well, all, with the, all the file skips. information yourself. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that, but, you know, there, there's a great, there's something great there, right? Yeah. Where you can capture vinyl as it, you know, as it's supposed to sound. Uh, this I used to be segue with All By Myself from Eric Carmen. That's yeah. another one, though. All By Myself is another one that you think is cheesy until you're depressed. And then you put it on like Bridget Jones and you sit there and you go, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. Eric Carmen had it right. <laughs> that guy is speaking truth to me. Carl Click's top five Pete Edge moping songs. Number two, a song about a horse. Wildfire, Michael Martin Murphy. No, we we've skipped that's number, number No, that's we're on number three. Darn it. Can't live without... Here's Ariel. Can't live if living is without you. I think this is on Susan's top five. I think the actual title is without you, but you got, you know, you got to type the whole title in there to get the whole. Your whole list is like one big K-Tail gold collection. (laughs) This 45 had a yellow label. Just send three easy payments of $9.99. Sessions presents... Timeless Love, a collection of Carl Click's teenage moping songs. I can't forget tomorrow when I think of all Those collections were huge when I grew up. Totally. Me too. Boxcar Willie? Boxcar Willie for the win. Look at you. Or Glenn Campbell, Kenny Rogers. I haven't thought about Boxcar Willie in like 15 years. Well done, sir. You know what this audience likes to hear. Okay. Where is Boxcar Willie right now? He's dead. He's got to be He's dead. riding the rails. To heaven. <laughs> I'm afraid to sing along. Uh, but, you know, you know I, kill myself. I, I, I can't sing along because it would be so horrible. But you have to sing, You have to be in a room by yourself oh, on yeah. the couch and just blaring out like there's nobody there to hear you. Excellent. I knew that you'd do it if we let it play long enough. That's going to end up in a promo. Excellent. Silver Eagle Records presents Songs of Loss. Now get to the song about the horse. All right. uh, Carl Click's top five teenage moping songs. Number two, the song about the horse. Wildfire, Michael Martin Murphy. Is this really about a horse? Yes, it is. A horse named Wildfire. I think this is a one-hit wonder. I'm not sure. Yeah. But the greatest piano intro to anything. It's impossible to talk up. Have you tried? Well, we used to, we used to chop it right here where we carted it up back in those yeah. days. Oh, you would just cut off the whole prelude? Oh, yeah. They're trying to talk to surprise listeners crazy. <laughs> it, it has to stand by. We're going to talk about some school closings. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, uh, if you want to be part of the Hit 93 Key Club, you could be going to see this guy live in concert. That's right. It's Michael Martin Murphy. He'll be playing um, with Joan Baez. I'm sure you won't want to miss it. <laughs> I'm Rick St. Rick, and uh, you're in the middle of another non-stop music jam on this workday. There's a little wildfire. It has like three separate intros. Going out from Carl to Denise on this <laughs> Wednesday. With all his love. I don't know where the post is on the song, so I'm just going to keep talking it's loud. Right here. This. Oh, damn it. You missed it. <laughs> See, that's why I always clip it. And you know what? For, you know, the months and months this was on the chart, everybody tries to figure out what it's about. Right. Is it really about a horse or his girlfriend? Or, and, and I guess he just had a dream and it came to him and he wrote it. It, meant, it really meant nothing. How many songs come from Nebraska? 
I don't know. I mean, it's... I was just thinking about what... If you were to sort of do some Excel spreadsheet or a pie chart or something of all of the people's songs that we've had so far, all of the top five moping songs, I would say 70% of them came from that decade, the 70s. Sure. I mean, I would say uh, uh, easily two-thirds of our songs have come from the 70s. The 70s was some sort of a high watermark for moping. I keep waiting for, I keep waiting to hear that everybody's talking song on this list. Well, that, Harry Nelson did that. We already played one of the songs. Go get the horse. Go get the horse. It's, it's going to get hurt out there by itself. It's cold. It's Nebraska. You can still hear this like in frozen food aisle every now and then. <laughs> so I'm picturing in the elevator. In the elevator. Yeah. I'm picturing a young Carl Click, and in my head, here's the thing. And I don't know what you look like, so you're just a little miniature version of you now. You're like two-thirds size. So you're like a two-thirds scale Carl Click, dressed as you are now, but in your teenage bedroom. And you're just, it's at night, and you're looking out the window at the stars. <laughs> stars know not of sadness and despair. The stars know only of light. And then thinking to yourself, I need to write that down in my journal. <laughs> you know me so well. Well, all right then. Uh, Carl Click's top five teenage moping songs. Tim Riley? So, this next band, the album that this is from, they made enough to give everyone in the world a free one. If you go to Goodwill, you will find this bread album. <laughs> the best of bread. Every girl in the world, if you had a sister, she probably had it during that time. This is if a picture paints a thousand words. <laughs> why I can't. I can't remember the, the picture. Paints. By, by one of my college buddies, proclaimed the greatest makeout album of all time. Let's go back to my joint makeout bread. <laughs> this is called. Here. Go home, I want to paint you. Well, if, if you listen to the words all the way through, it's like it's just these sayings and phrases thrown up, and and they tend to flow. I mean, the end of Sarah Palin was singing a love song. The end of the song is just like, what are you talking about? If the world ends, we're going to fly away? Well, and I think I don't think that's, you know. And even, you know, then as now... Do you ever have this thought? This is a, this is a thing that you know will sort of occur to you sometimes. Then you hope, death, you try to wish the thought away, where it occurs to you that, wait a minute, you know the song that means so much to me and the song that helped me through so many emotional times. He, he might have just been like using words because they rhymed correctly. Exactly. Like, he might have really just been sitting there with a the moon, spoon, all right, June, if, gift. Sun, fun, and just you know. Meanwhile, it's like something that saved your life one night. Exactly. You know. Meanwhile, John Lennon's at home going, uh, I don't know. Baby, you can drive my bar. <laughs> no, bar, car, good solid car. <laughs> you know, and you just you know, because uh, this does just sound like a bunch of stuff. Like he was wandering through a Hallmark cards and uh -huh. just wrote down David Gates just wrote down phrases. Here it is. If the world should stop revolving. <laughs> Well, there is nothing more 70 sounding than a wobbly keyboard thing in the background, whatever that is, that Mellotron. And you know what I learned about this? Evidently, Telly Savalas recorded this. It was number one in uh, England. And it was like a spoken word? I guess. Like a Kojak sings yeah. love songs? <laughs> well, i got to find that now. All right, Carl Click, well done. Oh, well done, I, Carl Click. I, Good job. I've depressed myself. All right. I need think, Richie uh, to drive me home. Do you think Natalie Marmion will come in and do hers? I'll ask. Yeah, bring them on. Yeah, everybody, roll them. Roll everybody down here. 
All right. Carl Click, tell the people when they can see you next. Uh, every morning, uh, 4.57 a.m. on K2. All right. Uh, 5 to 7 and then at noon. They make them stand up now. Is that true? Yeah, i got to wear pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's Carl Click, ladies and gentlemen. K2's shining star. Thank you for coming in, sir, as uh, always. It's always great to be here. I feel like I'm sitting at the table with the cool kids. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I'm not going to bother to correct that incredibly flawed assumption. Very, very flawed. We'll take a break. Come back after this. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. More from Tim Riley later on. Bob Costantini from CNN. And more. You say that. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. He needs his girl to cheer him up because he's like in a depresso state all the time. That's not so happy. No, and none of the Beach Boys. There's no, there are no happy Beach Boys songs. What about like not only knows what I do without or be without you? First line, I may not always love you. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, see also, um, Jesus, wouldn't it be nice? Is another one where it's like an unhappy couple. Uh, dreaming about this future where they may not be unhappy and where they might be together because now... Now you're just depressing me, Rick. There you go. See, and now he's stuck in this car race. Even it's a car... It's an unhappy car race. Uh, he he said... Uh, he, he said, uh, but now I, ca- I can't back down now because I pushed the other guy too far. So now he's stuck in some weird rebel without a cause, uh, it, it, like, car race because, like, he... Because his male pride won't let him quit and so the girlfriend's got to be there to console him. No, Brian Wilson had this weird thing where, like, he would take utterly depressing sets of lyrics and then trick you into thinking he was happy. And then you realize years later uh, that it's all just one big down cycle for him. He's a glorious mastermind. He really is. Yeah, the Beach Boys were always either sad when they were happy or happy when they were sad. I can't quite figure out which. It was all Murray's fault. Totally. Blame Murray Wilson for everything. All right. Well, Well, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Next verse, so looking at this morning's slide, it said a house careening down a southwest Portland hillside. The ground is saturated despite little rain. Uh, The word from the Portland Bureau of Transportation is the only conclusion as to what caused this is some unusual water condition. The uh, Like mud? Probably. It occurred around 5.30 this morning at Southwest Burlingame Place. The Bureau of Transportation says three of four damaged houses at the bottom of the slide at Southwest Tualuca Boulevard are declared inhospitable or inhabitable. Local housing market tumbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not it either. All right. Well, we were talking about the girl with too many fingers. Well, there's something at the other end of that. Two Seattle area residents are drawing attention to quadriplegics. 
Uh, one is Will Grew, a Navy veteran paralyzed in a motorcycle accident. He recently brought home a gold medal in wheelchair rugby at the Beijing Games. The second is a local artist and member of the Mouth and Foot Painting Artist Association. Rom Wickstrom is, is our, our wonderful full member artist in Seattle. He's so awesome. His work is great, and he does a lot for the MFPA. Why would anybody want to paint feet? Oh. He paints using his feet. Mouth and foot painting. I, I suppose they can okay. paint there. There you feet. go. All right. Um, on that note, we have this, Rick. We were talking about that girl with too many fingers. My distant cousin had extra fingers. At my great aunt's house, there was a jar with the fingers floating in it. As kids, we loved playing in the toy room that held the finger jar. In retrospect, it's disturbing that we were not bothered by the jar filled with extra digits. I need therapy. There you go. Here's Tim Riley. So let's have a little time for last night's debate. John McCain says it's time to reduce government spending. And I recommend a spending freeze that, except for defense, veterans affairs, and some other vital programs, we'll just have to have across the board freeze. And some of those programs may not grow as much as we would like for them to. I, I suppose that would have made sense a few years ago, before this socialization of American business. And I ask again, how is on the one hand, how's he going to have a spending freeze while he's going to fork over $700 billion? Yes, exactly. And, and they hear the thing of like, well, we're gonna we're gonna buy back those bad loans for the we American need smaller government. Uh, I mean, whatever. I mean, fix it, don't fix it. But uh, I, I was about to say, but don't lie to us. But I mean, really, what is the, you know, it's just it's stupid. Obama says he doesn't understand why America is spending so much money on the Iraq War when Iraq has so much of its own money. I don't understand how we ended up invading a country that had nothing to do with 9/11, while Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda are setting up base camps and safe havens to train terrorists to attack us. So that was one of his big lines of the night. Well, and of course, it's good to know the Iraqis are still paying 40 cents a gallon for gas. So as long as the Iraqis are fine in this whole thing, that's really what matters. Obama says McCain will take away some of the regulations on insurance companies that stop them from barring workers from health care due to pre-existing health conditions. Business organizations like the United States Chamber of Commerce, which generally are pretty supportive of Republicans, said that this would lead to the unraveling of the employer-based health care system. That, I don't think, is the kind of change that we need. Did you catch that thing last night when McCain was, he was talking about where we can cut government spending and waste or whatever, and he, he kept, he went back to this like three times, talking about some planetarium somewhere. Yeah, that Obama spent like zillions of dollars on some telescope or protector. Or something. It's a, but it's a planetarium, but, but he was talking about like it was a yo-yo. Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, I got a really angry email this morning from a listener yeah, who is a scientist. And, he's, and it was basically like, hey, Dick, uh, talking to John McCain, like, I am a scientist. You know where I got the idea to become a scientist? From a planetarium. It is science. So uh, it's not like he was talking about getting rid of a water park or something. I mean, the planetarium is actually, that is, I mean, I know that the Republicans are in this weird rejecting science mode, but it seems like you could pick on something else. Yes. Uh, McCain says health care is a major challenge for Americans. We've got to give them the wherewithal to do it. We can do it by giving them, as a start, a $5,000 refundable tax credit to go around and get the health insurance policy of their choice. I think I speak for everybody when I say shut up. And also, Americans don't want wherewithal. They want health insurance. They don't want a $5,000 credit. They want a... The, the, I, I, the, the problem is they can't afford it. There's plenty to choose from if freedom is... Freedom of choice, yes, we have that. The problem is you can't afford it. If you have any pre-existing condition, you will not get health insurance. And I wonder how much health insurance we could be giving the American people right now if we didn't have $700 billion that we were going to be giving the private industry. That would be socialization. So I have a question about the $5,000 thing. So 
Do you, so his proposed $5,000, you know, giving it back to the people, does, is that only for people who are paying for health care, or does everybody get it even if they don't well, have health Well, presumably it's for everybody, but uh, but here's my thing. First of all, let, just full disclosure, as they say, I do believe uh, that the government is mandated by the founding documents of this country to provide health care. I will just say that right now. That is my opinion, my opinion only. The government is chartered to provide for the common defense those words are in writing. To provide for the common defense. I will point out, um, I'll put it this way. If one takes into account all Americans killed by terrorists, and not to diminish that or to in any way say that that is less than uh, horrible and a tragedy, because it is, but if one takes into account every single American killed by terrorism over the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years, you know, that's not even a tenth of the number of people that are killed by heart disease, and in many cases killed by heart disease that they did not bring on themselves with any behavior, that people struck down uh, by dint of genetics or environment. Uh, and so the government is chartered to provide for the common defense. And you know what kills more people than anybody else, anything else in this country? Heart disease and cancer. So if, if helping Americans defend against heart disease and cancer isn't providing for the common defense, then you just don't know how to use the English language. So the government, in my opinion, is mandated to provide health care to people. That being said, the idea, and we'll get to Bob Costantini in one second, I think when, I don't mean to sound so unbearably partisan about this, because let's be, let, let's call it what it is. Obama's not going to be giving you health coverage either. No. I mean, when he says he is, that's a lie. Obama is lying when he says, we're going to have health care for every American. Not going to happen. There'll lie. be some calamity, and he'll say right away that we can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but this, we're going to give you $5,000 to go. The idea that Americans are going to be given some rebate or check that they then have to go find their own insurance. I mean, I think that makes the average American tired and confused and a little bit frustrated. When the government says, what we're going to do is give you this coupon, and you just go take care of that yourself. The prospect of, on top of everything else, family, job, uh, you know, long-term career goals, uh, dealing with personal finances, dealing with education, dealing with, God forbid, some existing health condition, and then on top of that... You're going to have to go out and like do all this jazz of finding it yourself, but the government's going to be giving like a coupon for it. People don't want that. People want the government to step in and do what is right. I mean, which is not like making you do more work, uh, you know, for your own health care, which the government really ought to be providing anyway. We will take a moment to speak to CNN radio correspondent and firecracker Bob. Costantini. Hello, Bob Costantini. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Rick. Uh, I don't have that much in the stock market, so. <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, Never did. Yeah. Well. Um, all right. So it's just it's been a, a bit of a topsy turvy week uh, already. I mean, we're only three days into this thing. But yeah. I, by the way, I'm going to tell you, I'm reading the CNN prep sheet, and we'll do is we'll, we'll talk to Bob, um, and then Tim, we do a, the final debate wrap up on the other side of Bob here, and then we'll uh, let you go prepare your news, or do you want to go do that now? I'll what go we... do that now, and I'll be back with more. Okay, later. that works perfectly. <laughs> all right. So I'm reading right here off the prep sheet, and it says. Meltdown, Bush World. Yeah. And I didn't see that there's a forward slash between Bush and World, so I thought it was yeah. like some sort of like a theme park at which there'd been a disaster. I uh, know. There's been a terrible disaster at Bush World today. Thousands left blind. There should have been a hyphen in there or a slash mark or something to uh, differentiate that because um, uh, the world's industrialized financial leaders, um, industrialized nations, uh, finance ministers are coming here to Washington starting tomorrow for several meetings that were originally scheduled uh, for the International Monetary Fund, et cetera, 
Um, but, of course, now they're meeting really under a crisis atmosphere. Right. Uh, and so I, we've sort of been asking this question, um, you know, every day, just not because we necessarily expect a definitive answer, but just to see sort of where the, the, you know, the temperature and the pulse uh, are. So we've got this bailout or this rescue, whatever you want to call it. When... In other, in other words, when does the rubber sort of meet the road on this in the sense that people will begin to uh, either in hard dollars financially or emotionally or just in terms of the zeitgeist start to feel like the brakes have been applied a little bit? Is there any sort of timeline for when that's going to have a ripple effect big enough to see? Yeah, it is the zeitgeist thing, as you say. This is the, the mood of the country is rather grim right now. Um, the uh, Treasury Secretary, Henry Paulson, had a news conference uh, today uh, ahead of the uh, minister's meeting, and he sort of updated what was going on within the administration and then how they're planning on moving quickly. Uh, the $700 billion bailout package um, that was uh, signed into law on Friday by President Bush uh, is, uh, you know, allows the government to start buying up bad mortgage-based uh, debt from financial firms, whether they're on uh, bad footing or uh, are perfectly sound at the moment. Um, and Paulson said that the first purchases will not be made for a few weeks. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say whether, you know, the government starts buying up some of this debt that uh, the average citizen is going to feel a little bit better about it. But, I, I you know, it, it's clear even, uh, you know, the officials here in Washington are saying we may be a lot of weeks away from feeling a little bit better about this and months away. And tomorrow we're going to get a, a job, jobless claims reports, which usually wouldn't uh, make people uh, take notice, of course, except uh, tomorrow we're going to find out uh, some more information about uh, who's filing for jobless claims, how many people, and that will be analyzed to the nth degree. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, whether or not it's good news or bad news or, you know, somewhere in between, people aren't necessarily going to start feeling any better uh, here's, tomorrow. Here's a question, and, and maybe you can speak to this, maybe you can't. So if not, I understand. But was there any explanation given as to why, as part of this $700 billion, and many, many people suggested this, Ben Stein uh, wrote a, a very yeah. great editorial about this in the New York Times, why they didn't just say, okay, look, we're going to take a big chunk of this, and we're just going to go right to the homeowners themselves, yeah. and they'll get it so they can pay off what they owe. Did anybody even suggest that, or was it sort of just uh, disregarded? Well, this may surprise you, uh, but that's what uh, part of what John McCain's proposal was last mm -hmm. night in the debate, um, a, uh, to um, you know, help rescue uh, directly, buy up mortgages from homeowners right. who right. might be in trouble, a $300 billion uh, proposal. It would be heavily bureaucratic, needless to say, sure. uh, if it were to be implemented. Um, but uh, that's that's one of the things he suggested last night, and, and perhaps the only uh, new or different thing you know that we hadn't heard uh, from these two candidates uh, coming out of the uh, debate last night. Well, the interesting thing is that is that, and it seems like I'm just going after McCain r relentlessly here. But the thing about but the thing about Barack Obama last night to me, just my opinion here, is that aside from a couple uh, answers where he really gave hard facts and figures, which he may or may not you know sort of uh, hew to uh, you know if he's elected that Barack Obama seems very, he just seems so smooth and frictionless, at least in terms of last night. There's not a, lot to, not a lot to grab onto there for good or bad. He is just this, you know, this sort of amorphous blur of a politician last night. But John McCain, he's, he was talking about, as you said, this, the, the business of you know, the, buying up these bad debts, but like 30 seconds later, he's talking about a spending freeze. And it doesn't really seem like you can have both of those, unless I'm really missing something obvious. <laughs> um, 
Well, the, the spending freeze, I guess, would be uh, aside from the extra money that the government would have to borrow to buy up mortgages. And, of course, uh, this whole $700 billion bailout package, which is likely to cost more initially, right. um, is, uh, is going to be borrowed money, yeah. basically. This was unbudgeted. Um, this, is, uh, this is something Uncle Sam is going to have to borrow and add to the national debt. So, I mean, I have we thought no about, easy answer to any of this. Have really. we thought about just pawning something? Um, <laughs> have we thought about just taking whatever, Statue of Liberty or... Uh, uh, national the, Park or two, perhaps. The, the St. Louis Arch or something? And we go and we go, look, um, I'm going to be back for this in 35 days. And the guy goes, yeah, that's what they all say. All right, I'll give you uh, uh, $5,000. Wouldn't come anywhere near close to solving the problem. I got some stuff right here in Portland. I got some people we could pawn, for that matter. <laughs> I'm going to drop a list of items in Portland that we could pawn to try to get some money. Uh, you just pay this whole thing off. You know what I mean? And I will say one thing about the debate last night. One of the questioners did ask about uh, the so-called uh, you know entitlement programs, mm-hmm. Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare that are coming up, or Medicare in particular, of course, and Social Security. Um, these are things that, you know, are, all the solutions to them are relatively unpopular. And, of course, uh, everybody said, well, we've got to get together and try to solve these problems. But nobody was willing to say anything about the unpopular choices that need to be right. made, whether it's raising the retirement age or eligibility requirements, et cetera. So I, I think both candidates really ducked uh, that idea. Uh, now, of course, you know, if you say you're going to raise the retirement age, you'd probably become unpopular. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, but as I told as I told my wife uh, last night, and this is about a separate issue that I won't make you uh, I won't make you listen to this. But I told my wife last night I was I was sort of rhetorically pressing my wife on some point. I was I was in essence asking my wife to defend some statement that Barack Obama had made, and and then I stopped and I actually corrected myself. I said I said okay. I mean, I understand that it's all lies. I understand that they're just saying what they need to say to get elected. And then I stopped it again and I said. But in some fantasy land where everything they're saying is really true, what does he mean when he says blank? And so you're right. It really is two separate things. You got to, you know, there's what they know to be true, and there's what they they know they got to say on TV to get elected. So, all right. On that note, my uh, my friend, are you on tomorrow? Uh, no, actually, Lisa uh, should be back. You will be missed by me. Yes, thank you. I appreciate right. that, and I'll uh, I'll treasure this moment uh, right now and look forward to next week. I'm picking up on your sarcasm, Bob. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I appreciate it. You had me until treasure this moment. You've you've always been kind to me, of course. Like a retirement speech? (laughs) I certainly mean, uh, no, no, no. (laughs) I want to thank Rick Emerson, who embraced me even in my darkest moments. All right, Bob, uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you. Take care. Rick, I just want to thank you for all you've done. That did kind of sound like a goodbye speech. It was. It was something we don't know. Uh, so what do you want to do? I we're we're like so wonky on breaks and, camps uh, and well, let's do this. Let's do the let me do these calls. We'll do the sixty second contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I'll do greatest songs ever into the break. Then we'll come back, Tim. And and I gotta get the, the here's the thing. I don't want to sort of set ourselves up for disappointment. The debate was just complete. It was an exercise in tedium. But I, my notes are they're interesting to me anyway. We'll see if they're interesting to anybody else. But I do have some sort of observations from last night that we'll get to uh, in the final news segment. Uh, with Tim. So and then I got like a whole series of just insane emails and stories. Let me just read this one, then we'll do the calls, then 60 seconds, then the song. This is from MSNBC.com. Do you watch America's Next Top Model? Um, I have. Former Mex- uh, I'm just going to read this as it's written, by the way. 
Former America's Next Top Model contestant Bianca Golden is speaking out on the Tyra Banks show about the July 29th Turks and Kekos. Kekos? Uh, this is a place I've seen written down a thousand times. How do you spell it? T-U-R-K-S, Turks, and C-A-I-C-O-S. Kekos? It's like an Kekos? island, I think. I don't know. Well, whatever. That place. Brawl between her family and hairspray star Nikki Blonsky's family. That happened a few weeks back. Here's the money line coming up. According to the, see if you can spot the interesting phrase here. According to the aspiring model, the friction started between both families because Nikki Blonsky was rude to Golden's aunt, which then led to an argument. The argument escalated to a physical fight, according to Golden. That's when the situation became worse. Golden says. This is her uh, retelling the incident. I'm reading this now from the news story. That's when the situation became worse, according to Golden. Quote, Nikki takes her foot and kicks my mom in the vagina. End quote. The former reality show contestant alleged. Somebody in the vagina. That's allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know the answer to that. That's horrible. It seems like a mean thing to do. Uh-huh. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Who's this? Hey, Rick, this is Chuck. What do you got, sir? I believe it's uh, Turks and Kaikos. Kaikos? I wouldn't know. Kaikos. You know, I'm gonna. I have no choice or but to Kaikos. believe you. See, now you don't even know. See, yeah. I would have believed the first answer. I've, you're changing up. I've now. heard it. my girlfriend's from there. No, I'm kidding about that. You don't have a girlfriend, do you? No. So okay. anyway, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, I thought of a twist on the top five mm-hmm. uh, for a teenage angst song. Yes, sir. Moping song. How about uh, I would like to do one that I would I imagine John Wayne Gacy's would be. Wait, these are the top five wait, as teenagers? Yeah. So top five serial killer moping songs from when they were teenagers. In other exactly. words. And I get John Wayne Gacy. So if John, So what did John Wayne Gacy mope to when he was just a mere serial killing youth? Oh, how about, like, because he was a contractor, like, If I Had a Hammer, and, uh, let's see, Where the Boys Are by Connie Francis, and, of course, Send in the Clowns. Tears of a Clown, maybe? Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye. I love Chuck. Uh, Okay, we're going to take caller number five now for 60 seconds of speaking for uh, your shot at Henry Rollins tickets. Have we discussed what we're going to do? No, we have to figure it out. Uh, Next Monday, the 13th, the Newmark Theater. Tickets also available at Ticketmaster.com. Henry Rollins doing spoken word, which is uh, something you really ought to see, by the way. But we'll take caller number five right now at 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 if you want to play 60 seconds of speaking. Hello, who's this? Hey, it's Brian. What's up? Hey, uh, you're not getting the dog whisperer, but uh, in my uh, in the interest of public service, I'll be happy to help you with any of your pressing uh, dog problems. Uh, pretty savvy on the subject. What are your What are your qualifications? Uh, Don't say you have a dog. <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> well, yeah, three, but that's that's not that's not entirely it. Mm-hmm. Most of it is honestly. Uh, well, firstly, uh, uh, being a, a diligent student of Caesar Milan's. Uh, I paid uh, very close attention to him. It was kind of funny. He came he came on the scene uh, about the same time that I got my uh, my first adult dog, and um, and so I just well, you know I know I know quite a bit, but not. You've watched definitely... the Dog Whisperer a lot. Is really what you're. Okay. That's, that's your selling point. 
thing is, no, it, it all comes through practice, though. Mm-hmm. And so I can speak to the efficacy of everything that he preaches. And so regarding your things like, uh, you know, getting your dog to eat and, and uh, you know, dogs are entirely associative learners. You know, they, I, I watched this whole miniseries on Russia the other day. It doesn't make me the czar. <laughs> okay. Do you want help or not? There's no need to be snarky, sir. I, uh, I'm simply saying... Uh, I, I called the help. I, I stayed on hold for quite a long time just to help there's you. There's no I need to be your, confrontational. Problems. If you want your problem solved, go. Ask, I don't... For, ask, ask for a solution yeah. to something. I'll give it to you. You can go home and try it, and I will gladly call back and take my verbal beating if, if I'm wrong. What, 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 what if you agreed to take a physical beating? Uh, I'll submit to that, too. Okay, well, okay, done and done. All right, so uh, do we have any specific problems now that he's offered you, himself you, up? You, you've been bitching for I don't know how long about, so about, about, it, about Max, and then, and then your puppy. you got puppy problems, you've had Max problems, you talk about uh, the going to the bathroom problems, talk about dog walking problems. I, you know, I'm having a Brian problem. you got to take from like a 10 to a, <laughs> like a 6. Dude. You are unnecessarily combative, sir. Hey, I'm on the clock. Okay, well, I'll let you go then. Thanks. Uh, hi, uh, well, you're on the, oh, wait, this is Caller 5 that we're doing next? All right, okay. I Jesus, always didn't I mean, even come up with an idea. Seriously. Oh, crap, I, do you have to think of something girly if it's a guy? I don't know, man. Why do people got to bring negative energy? That's I my job. When, I don't want somebody talks at you, you know? Like, I don't I, mean, I understand, look, I, you know, I understand you're busy, you're on hold and whatnot, but no need to be brusque. Let's just move forward. You know, so you catch more flies with uh, honey than you do vinegar, Brian. I thought of a good topic. Okay, Really? I can't read your lips, so I'll have to trust that your your idea is good. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Caller 5. Uh, hello, uh, Caller 5. How are you today? Great. How are you guys? Uh, I'm great. Are you uh, are you ready to play 60 seconds of speaking for your shout-out Rollins tickets? I'm stretching out. I'd love to see it. Okay. So here's the deal. Uh, we're going to give you a go. you got to talk for 60 seconds without stopping. Now, we're not going to have some no-uh rule or whatever, but... It's uh, pretty, like... Price, not pricey, but I mean, like, worthwhile tickets. The ticket, you know, and they're hard. They are hard to come by now. Um, so you got to talk. you got to maintain your forward momentum on whatever subject we give you for 60 seconds. Are you ready? I will do my best. Sarah Dillon, what is this young man going to talk about? 60 seconds. I'd like you free to talk about sex in the city. All right. You are going to be discussing sex in the city for 60 seconds nonstop in three, two, one. Speak. Sex in the city is one of those things, uh, it's in the public consciousness, and I probably should know more about it, but I don't. Um, I know it's on cable, and it has Sarah Jessica Parker and that chick from Mannequin. I can't remember what her name is, but Sarah Jessica Parker, um, coincidentally, is married to Matthew Broderick, who starred in probably some of my favorite films from um, the all-time classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off to, I believe, Biloxi Blues, and then kind of a snorer with Marlon Brando called The Freshman, um, possibly underrated. But um, speaking of Marlon Brando, he was in one of my favorite movies called Apocalypse Now, which also starred Robert Duvall. Um, Robert Duvall, coincidentally, um, was in a movie based on a book by Pat Conroy called the Prince of Tide. All right, hold on. That's 60 seconds. Sarah, I'm going to leave this up to you. No, don't leave it to me because I know what you're going to ask. Do we consider this talking about sex in the city? Uh. Well, he was talking. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? I'm feeling generous, so we're going to go ahead and give you those Rollins tickets. But yeah. really, just, just, I mean, that, you really squeak by there because you I talked about sex in the city for like 12 <laughs> seconds. 
All right, I'm going to put you on hold, sir. You're going to see Henry Rollins uh, Monday the 13th at the Newmark. Congratulations. Okay, well, thanks. All right, I'll That's so funny. That was exactly what I was thinking when he was talking. I mean, he just immediately went from A to, like, Q with that. You know, he did keep on going. There was forward momentum. I was that's the, See, that's the thing, though. And you know what? And, and it was funny. You know, you get a lot of points uh, with me by being funny. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. So I'll tell you what. We'll do the uh, greatest songs ever made. We'll come back. We'll uh, wrap up our debate coverage. And, uh, you know, and then I'll, then I'll jaw about some stuff. Then it'll probably be time to go home. It is uh, 503-733-2970. So uh, coming up later, uh, Tim Riley will do, uh, we'll do the, we'll wrap up our debate coverage do the other that. Don't forget, we got another pair of Rollins tickets tomorrow. Uh, like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7, and so forth. All right, it's time for another edition of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. I'm Rick Everson, and these are The Greatest Songs Ever Made. But with which, by the way, I hope to counteract the still lingering vibe of depression that came from Carl Click's Top 5. One of the hardest jobs any songwriter can face is channeling, or distilling, pure joy. You take that rarefied mix of happiness, sweetness, and the intangible spark of a singing heart, and you set it to music. When it works, the mixture is pure magic. Born in 1931, Samuel Cook, soon to be known simply as Sam Cook, was raised by gospel-singing parents who preached the Baptist word and instilled in their son the love of harmony, melody, and all forms of exuberant noise. By 25, Sam Cook was releasing singles and making a name, albeit a regional one. In 1957, he found success with You Send Me, which spent six weeks at number one on the R&B chart and three weeks at number one on the pop chart, the first of several crossover successes that would mark his career. At a time when such a move was nearly unheard of, Sam Cooke started his own record label, his own publishing imprint, his own management firm, all this while writing, singing, arranging, and producing his own songs. His talent seemed to have no boundaries at all. And then in 1961, Sam Cooke released a single that would launch him into immortality. At two minutes, five seconds long, the song, sung from a first-person perspective, describes a laundry list of things that the narrator doesn't quite understand. History, biology, algebra, or for that matter, any kind of science at all. It's all right, though, because what he does understand is love, and that's enough to make him content with the world and all it has to offer. Sam Cooke died only three years later, but to untold millions of romantics, dreamers, and, of course, students, his words will resonate forever. One of the greatest songs ever made. This is Sam Cooke and Wonderful World. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took, but I do know that I love you, and I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Don't know much about geography, don't know much trigonometry, don't know much about algebra, don't know what a slide rule is for. Now, I don't claim to be an A student, but I'm trying to be. For maybe by being an A student, baby, I can win your love for me. Don't know much about history, don't know much biology, don't know much about a science. 
much about the French I took, but I do know that I love you, and I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. La ta 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 ta. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. And, uh, where did I put that? I wonder how many times a day is it. Where did I put that thing? Let's see, where did it go? Oh, here we go. Rick, about that Rachel Ray video on your website. Is that where creamed corn comes from? What's the matter, Sarah? Are you choking on something over there? It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you're playing the home game, today's secret phrase is... Booty bread. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The house that fell down the hill is our biggest story today, and because that house fell down the hill, Tawilika Boulevard is closed indefinitely as a precaution between Capitol Highway and Chestnut Street. They don't want people driving by and having a house fall on top of them, and it could still happen. So once again, Tewilaku Boulevard is closed indefinitely as a precaution due to falling houses between Capitol Highway and Chestnut Street. First it was just falling house prices. Mm-hmm. Now it's no, see, it doesn't work either. We still haven't found it four no. hours later. Whole day. No pun. All right. More uh, debate stuff. Tom Brokaw, apparently he was at a, a different debate. He says the candidate steered clear of personal attacks. And these candidates know that uh, the public does not have much patience now for personal attacks. They want to hear some tough answers to these very tough questions. When is someone going to break the news to him that no one can understand what he's saying? Tom Brokaw. I'm sorry, I man. I mean, Tom Brokaw. No one can understand you because it sounds as though your plates are glued together. So Warren Buffett is mentioned as a possible pick. Or Treasury Secretary by both presidential candidates at the debate. John McCain also mentioned former eBay chief Meg Whitman for the Treasury job. She knows what it's like to be out there in the in the marketplace. She knows how to create jobs. Meg Whitman was the CEO of a company that started with 12 people and is now 1.3 million people in America make their living off eBay. I got to say that to revisit the thing we had the other day about eBay laying off a thousand people, and we were asking like, how, why did they even need a thousand people? And a bunch of guys emailed me. And apparently, they do a lot of. I guess I should have figured it's a lot of coding, a lot of software. You know, uh, stuff needs to be done. Now I sound like John McCain. A lot of software, whatnots. But yeah, you know, but it obviously it's online. You got you know all kinds of back end uh, software maintenance and design has to be done. So I can see that. But the idea that that somehow, like being the CEO of eBay. Is really, I mean, what, what do you do? You're basically standing at a card table where so one guy comes up and he puts down a toaster, and then he waits for another guy to come by and buy the toaster. You're not doing anything. You're standing by while other people transact business on your virtual card table. I mean, that's really it. So uh, we've got some specific questions here, Tim, that we now may be able to answer. This guy says, about that $5,000 health care credit? Suppose you owe less than $5,000 in taxes. Like, you know, you're poor like me. Uh, what the hell good is a tax credit? Which is a good question. Yes. The answer is none, sir. Uh, how about this? 
about this $5,000 health insurance credit you're supposed to use. What if you have a pre-existing condition? Well, that's going to be worth the paper it's printed on. You will not be able to use that for anything. So no, if, if you have any, any pre-existing, you don't get insurance. No. I mean, what is that? Smoke and mirrors. That's exactly what that is. And, you know, th- well, you can do that thing now where they can test you for... Uh, uh, not predilection. What is that? But you know, tendency for for Parkinson's, mm-hmm. a, a predisposition. That's what I'm like, a genetic predisposition for Parkinson's. For uh, I think Hodgkin's, uh, you know, ALS, all of that stuff. Uh, which is you know, and you you, you see that, and the insurance company's going to tell you to get bent. They're not going to cover you. Uh, I, know, I know someone who was re- rejected because they didn't weigh enough. Is I, really I, all these obese people can get is somebody is healthy. I mean. Maybe a little bit below weight, but not overweight, and they're turned down. So uh, the idea that you're going to have this $5,000 credit for an insurance company that can still tell you to go take a flying leap is a little weird. So here's just, uh, we'll get through these, because if I do them tomorrow, there's going to be no point. So I'm going to try to get through a few of my notes from last night, just in no particular order. These are just notes to self from me, Rick Emerson, watching last night's tedious debate. Every time um, Tom Brokaw would say the phrase, we have another question from the Internet, it was like he was talking about the internet, like some kind of like it was a goblin out in the hallway. <laughs> we have another question from uh, the many-horned uh, centaur in the hallway. He shoved this under the door. These are really good, Tom Brokaw. That's so sad because that's what I'm going to sound like someday when I can't talk. Mm, you're an old curmudgeon. Yeah. Um, McCain talking about uh, solving the unemployment crisis and getting people employed reminded me so much last night. Do you remember that moment when Arnold Schwarzenegger was on Jay Leno when he was running for governor? Uh-huh. And Jay Leno said, what are you going to do about this? Uh, the people don't have jobs. And Schwarzenegger said the greatest thing. I wish I had the actual clip of this. He's going, everybody is going to have a great job. Which is just like plainly stupid, but got him elected. Yeah. I mean, what kind of a thing is that to say everybody is going to have a great job? Oh, by the way, somebody missed a very un-American comment last night. Hmm. Somebody commented and commended the French on doing something. No. Power is safe and it's clean, and it creates hundreds of thousands of jobs. And, and and I know that we can reprocess the spent nuclear fuel. The Japanese, the British, uh, and, and the French do it. Yeah. The French do it. Someone hates America. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Note to self: Can we get this on a nationwide ballot initiative somehow? Uh, all candidates must be hooked to polygraph machine during debate. How much would you pay for that? That would be great. If you're like on the HD channel, because right, because like now you get the little undecided things on the side. If you have HD, you get to see the like David Gergen and Jeffrey Tubin ranking, doing the scoring. How much would you pay for HD if, like, as a little sidebar to the debate, you got to see Barack uh, Obama and John McCain strapped to lie detecting machines? I wish that I'd thought of this three months ago. We could have put this on. We could have gotten some sort of, like, petition, some sort of, some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of an initiative that we push through right now and get it passed. Strap them in. And can't somebody make some HD glasses for those of us, which would be the majority now, who don't have HD TV glasses? And, you know, Subway could offer, like, a coupon on the side of it or something? Or just occasionally, like, you could put on the glasses and it would be an HD thing, mm-hmm. but then occasionally the right lens mm-hmm. would just be something that says, like, get, go to Jiffy Lube. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? I wrote down, McCain is a homing pigeon, and energy reform is his home base. Because every question, uh, Senator McCain, what are you going to do about the plight of whales? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let's talk about energy. I mean, that was, like, his go-to, man. That was his home square. Uh, let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, we all need green jobs. Uh, when did global warming become climate change? Do we not have global warming anymore? Everybody, this woman stood up last night, the green jobs, and she's like, uh, what are we going to do about climate change? And I, is that the same thing as global warming? I think so, it's part of it. So is global warming just part of climate change? Yes. Okay. Uh, note to self. It would be a subheading. 
John McCain can make even real things sound like weird sci-fi inventions he doesn't understand. Like when he says, oh, we're going to have battery-powered cars. And when he said it, it was like he was saying, we're all going to have personal jetpacks. It was like this sort of it vague... It's like he was throwing out all these little desperate terms. It's just like, which one's going to hook you? Like a lot of fish hooks on people. Like, totally. Right, let me, like just all these wonderful things I'll do. And like he just scanned a copy of Popular Science or something before he came on the, you know, we're all going to live in floating houses. Uh, let's see what else. Ah, that's stupid. Um, mm, let's see. Um, Jeff Merkley eats hot dogs. And, oh, I had the, I had the best idea for a bit. Tell me, I wrote this down last night. Tell me if you think this is still funny. Laura and I were talking about the Jeff Merkley's, as everyone is. We were talking about the Jeff Merkley ads last night. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, uh, you know, the, Jeff Merkley will come to your house and shoot you. And so I was thinking, you know what we ought to do? How many days do we have until the election? 20, maybe? It's like three fourth, weeks? It? It's the fourth. It, it's it's less than a month. What is today? The eighth. Okay, so we have less than a month. Don't count, don't count weekends. Okay, so I was thinking about this. What if every single day we just did like a completely fictitious, like a fake ad that was just nothing but completely unfounded, you know, Barack Obama wears a dress and talks to himself in his mother's voice. Do you want a man like that as president? And then it, we, we would just say at the end, like, I'm Rick Emerson and I fabricated this message. He drilled holes in his son's head with a rotor. See? What, seriously, what? I mean, wouldn't that be great? You just want to do the ultimate Joe Bluth. John ad. McCain has a collection of shrunken heads in his basement. Do you want a man like that as president? And then, but now, is that funny? That is goddamn hilarious. I wish yeah. we had, uh, you know, like... But you, have to, but you have to do it equally, you know, like... But we alternate one every day. Uh, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, you know, I wish we could somehow YouTube that. Make it a viral sensation. Well, I'm sure we could. I mean, look, uh, Cal did white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel and put That's that true. on YouTube in like a second. I should just put the audio up and then yeah. let people make a company. There you go. That's it. There it is. And then they make the video. And for then it. we could even put them our, on our Miss Space pages as advertisements. Yeah. Sarah Palin eats baby. <laughs> Joe Biden has a collection of Panamanian school children locked up in his cellar. Do you want a man like that as vice president? And then with the appropriate creepy music. Oh. And then, dude, I'm Rick Emerson. You and got I, yourself a good voice for that. And I fabricated this message. That's See, perfect. There you, you go. And you, and you just say, like, look, this is a lie. Here is a lie. I am putting it out there. Not true. Uh, I think that may be it. I don't think I have oh, anything else here. Are we going to break here in a second? Um, except to say this. Final observation. Rick, John McCain really does look like a zombie and moves like a robot. My husband and I entertained ourselves by making robot sounds every time he moved. The American voter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, top of the hour, all the way through Lycus. Uh, we will continue uh, around the corner. If you are on hold, and we've got uh, some folks on hold right here, we'll wrap it up with your phone calls around the corner. Lycus at 3, Mike O'Mara Show at 7. Stay there. <laughs>
now into the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Be sure to join us tomorrow when our guests will include Dorothy Cassiusari from the National Enquirer. Uh, Fat Boy Roberts will be here to do. I think, I think it started as some argument between him and his uh, his lady friend uh, because he's doing what is like a sword from the stone kind of a thing. It's like that time I was trying to do the top five TV show theme songs of all time, and it just went bad. So I think he's trying to do the top five teen movies ever. Ever, not from a particular era or decade or a particular stripe. Top five teen movies ever. So if he can do that tomorrow, I'll be impressed. So that's tomorrow. And then uh, tomorrow we will also be alerting one listener who will come in on Friday to do their top five teenage moping songs. If you haven't uh, posted yours yet, go to myspace.com slash Rick Emerson and go to the uh, musical moping blog and uh, post your suggestions. We'll do uh, some calls here till the end. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. This is Mark with us. Hello. What's up? Hey, so I just had a comment to make about that that guy who called you talking about, like, Dog Whisper or whatever. Yes. So I heard you mention something about the Sarah Palin game before that, and then, and then when I tuned back in, I thought that dog guy was playing the game. I'm like, damn, this guy won't shut up. He just keeps going. <laughs> you should have given him the ticket. That is fantastic. So you thought he was, in fact, just doing the 60 seconds of speaking thing. Yeah, and then he kept interrupting. I'm like, but, oh, no, he's not in the contest. But he was. But you thought he was maybe method acting. Like, I kept trying to cut him off, but he just kept talking, even though he didn't know what he was discussing. He yeah. had a mission. All right. There you go. See, that makes the whole call worthwhile. Your observations on it, sir. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you. Mm, bye-bye. All right. Uh, one more. Probably the last call of the day. Hi, you're uh, the last call of the program. Hello. Setting the tone for my whole mood for the rest of the day. How can I help you? Hey, you want to know anything about dogs? I work with dogs. I train dogs. Now... Is this the same person? Is this the same person calling from before? Nope. It's okay. not. This is Pat. I'm from Lake Ego. Now, when you say you train dogs, like professionally? or? Well, yeah. Well, I used to train uh, search and rescue dogs, German Shepherds, mm-hmm. and now I lost my eyesight. I'm totally blind. I've worked with guide dogs for 20 years, and I part-time obedience train people's dogs around my neighborhood. Wait, so and... let me, wait. let's back up for a second. So did you say that you are now blind? Yeah, I'm totally blind. Now, here's, a, I mean, here's a dumb question. I mean, so now just... Is it hard to train dogs if you can't see them? No, not really. Uh, if you work with the dog, um, you know, and it's somebody with uh, general troubles that they have with the dog, right. let's say hearing the dog, it's uh, pretty easy to get the dog to heal up. Um, All right. Well, here's and the only, I don't mean to interrupt you. We're, we're out of time here. Here's a dumber question. Uh, can you email? I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't yeah, know. I can email. You can do me a favor. Drop me an email uh, and let me know. And if we do it, uh, we might give you a call for that, sir. That would be nice. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. All right, there you he go. He a lot more pleasant than the There you other. go. Good call. Good call. All right. Glad we did that. Uh, okay, we want to thank Cena Radio Correspondents, uh, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, Bob Costantini, and Lisa Desjardins. Uh, our apologies to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, he got bumped. I'll do that tomorrow. Do we have somebody Carl. else on the Carl Click. I'm sorry, K2 is Carl Click, who was in the studio today. Join us tomorrow, and I guess we'll include Dorothy Cassiseri from the National Enquirer. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. For AM 970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley on the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio, Portland marketing guru, Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds, like us next. Uh, Michael Maris, show at 7. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Watch out for snakes. Bye now. Steve Holt is a bastard. He doesn't even know who his real father is.